This episode of Sovereign Tech is dedicated to Adam West. You are, and forever shall be, the Batman. Stallion doesn't even wear underwear. You're not changing my world. Who's crazy now saying that someone didn't want entire lives and everything you do in all the forms of government, not governance, government getting put onto the blockchain? Who's crazy now? I am terrified of replacing the gun with the code. Pardon me a moment of arrogance, but I'm a fucking genius and I can't keep track of all the shit that's coming out of the blo- of blockchain technology. I can't. And then when they say, well, but they're backwater. How could they be backwater if they have SIM cards and they're switching them around? People don't even know how to do that in the United States. And you say they care. No, they don't care. If they cared, if they had a lick of compassion, they wouldn't say near certainty that no civilians would be killed or or, or injured, or they wouldn't try to minimize civilian casualties, they'd walk away and say, no, if anybody, if anybody innocent has a chance of dying, we don't fire. We don't do it. But they do it anyway. They don't care about you. Who can possibly say that all this is okay? Who can come out? What person, what wonderful statist can come out and say, yeah, no, no, we have to do this. How are you going to change the world if you can't get your message out to anybody? Well, we have a website. Your website looks like everybody else's website. Your jingle music, your jingle ding, 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 is the same thing on every goddamn corporate video out there. You're a joke. Yeah, and, and I'm worried, too, because I think there's a lot of, a lot of philosophically inclined people who would say, well, you have a problem with my Google Glass? I don't think you're being vulnerable enough. What? What do you mean I'm not being vulnerable enough? No, I'm telling you to get that camera on my fucking face and leave me alone. The ultimate of rights, if there are rights, the ultimate of rights is leave me the hell alone. That's what this is all about. Woo, baby! <laughs> that... That right there was now that's that's actually not very new. That is old. That was from episode 100 of Sovereign Tech. And I got asked, they said, baby, Golden Stallion, could you please, woo, could you play that one again? Could you play that for my 12 year old son? And I said, baby, you got it. And I'm not kidding either. <laughs> oh, I got this email this morning. And of course, it is Saturday morning. We got a very unholy black Shabbat going on right now. And it was. Ju- <laughs> <laughs> Lovely night for intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy's laughing uh, uh, there. But uh, anyway, uh, it is it's June 10th, in case you're wondering. But I looked at my email this morning, and this, this father, who's a listener of this show, tell you what, how about I read this action for you? How about I read it for you one, one time? Let me, uh, let me pull it up fast. I, I mean, I, like, literally almost broke into tears. Okay, I got to be careful with the word literally, figuratively, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, I got to be careful with all my terms. Anyway, I, here, I'll paraphrase in this way. It doesn't reveal identities and everything. I listen to podcasts when taking my 12-year-old son to school and when bringing him home. Sovereign Tech gets put on repeat a lot because he is absolutely convinced that you, the Golden Stallion, are some kind of superhero rock star saving the world. 
His friend's parents are concerned about him constantly saying he's an anarchist and tries to get everyone to listen to the show. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine if he got this 12-year-old kid, got his friends, got little Johnny to listen to Sovereign Tech, and then suddenly he starts hearing, oh, oh, I mean, I am so sorry. Anyway, reading out with the email, you probably weren't expecting a 12-year-old to be one of your best marketers. Daddy, you're right. I was not expecting that, but this isn't the first time. I know I've got eight-year-olds. Oh, don't! Oh, man, I can't believe that. I've got nine-year-olds. I've got all kinds. Of, there's lots of kids that listen to the show, and I'm going, "Holy shit! What am I doing?" <laughs> but at the same time, whew, tell me, tell me you don't feel a little, whew, a little hyped up. Tell me you don't feel a little hope for the future when you hear that kind of shit, right? <laughs> And this kid wants, like, he wants my music because, of course, you know, I compose my own music for my little uh, uh, work that I do with Audio of the Ancients and, and, and some other things. Oh, man. I read, like I said, I was almost in tears reading that. It was just, it was so beautiful. Anyway, whoo, we've got a great show to get in, uh, to, to get here for you. And, and of course, again, that, that same person asked for, they wanted to hear that, uh, that intro again for episode 100, which you can just go to SoundCloud and listen to, to episode 100, but Hey, I'll put it in. I'm here for you, baby. I love my listeners, even the little guys. Absolutely. And the little gals and the little various invited transgender species. You better believe it. So, all right, let's get into this. I, I'll tell you, it, this this morning, I also ended up, you know, pretty much in tears uh, over very sad news that we will be talking about during the climax. I mean, we really, you know, I uh, I remember I went to IO9 um, uh, this morning and like I just felt like I, I got a, a swift kick to the gut with a pow symbol next to it. Right. And you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Adam West passed away uh, at the age of 88 due to a very short battle. And I'm glad it was a short battle, honestly, uh, with leukemia. And, um, boy, you know, I mean, longtime Sovereign Tech listeners, I've talked about the original Batman series probably as much as I've talked about almost anything else. Like last year, there was that great return of the Cape Crusader. Anyway, I'll save it for the climax. We'll talk about it there. We don't want to get all sad now because I've actually got some, well, in some segments of the show, uh, we're going to get into some good news. Woo. We've got some wild shit to talk about here. Uh, and some things that I've been promising to talk about uh, for some time that I, I really want to get into. So anyway, woo, let's get into the foreplay right now. So I'm going to open up the foreplay, you know, talking about like generations, <laughs> kind of like that, that poor kid. <laughs> no, I'm really am honored by that. Uh, but anyway, uh, talking about you know, generation things I had. So a great sovereign tech listener and a, a genuinely actually a great friend. Um, one of the people I really consider to be like a, a seriously great friend. Uh, he sent me, he, he shared something with me and it was called a Xenial X E N N I A L. And I just want to share this with you. It's not, not exactly tech kind of science. I mean, you know, whatever, but this explains a lot. And actually I, I think it has a lot to do. I think it's very relevant um, to tech in general and to a point that I've made many a time. So what is a Xenial? A Xenial is, I'll read it here, a micro generation born during the cusp years of Gen Xers, you know, Generation X and Millennials. For example, between 1977 and 1983. Now, here's the amazing part. I'm reading right from this. Or when the original Star Wars trilogy was released. Can you believe that? Like, like literally, they're basing this entire concept of a generation 
on the time frame within which Star Wars was like the biggest thing happening on the planet, which I find to be remarkable. Because, of course, you know, Sovereign Tech listeners know I'm a huge fucking Star Wars fan. In fact, we did a great Star Wars update on Patreon. Um, and boy, if you're not checking out, well, I'll mention the sponsor later, but if you're not checking out our sponsor, Resist the Empire podcast to get that Star Wars and Liberty all wrapped up in, you know, one nice little love burrito, you got to check that out. But anyway... So from 77 to 83, I was born in 81. Uh, the friend that shared this with me is, was, was also born within this time frame. Uh, I think he's a little older. But anyway, uh, Zennials experienced an analog. This is reading on with it. Zennials experienced an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. That's a key point. One more. Possess both Gen X cynicism and millennial optimism and drive. And like my friend shared it with me and he, and he was like, it's you. And I was like, yeah, it's me. Holy shit. And he's like, and then he said, it's us. And I'm like, yeah, it's you too. You know, th this was, this was such a huge realization. In fact, I mean, we've talked about this. I know, uh, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I, um, we, we talked about this on, on sex and science hour at one point where they have broken down pretty much you, you have, you know, cause millennials, there's a problem, right? Is that millennials, not that it's not too broad of a generation spectrum, because it's no different than baby boomers or Gen Xers or anything like that, but that there seems to be two types of millennials. There's the millennials that had a bit of time where the internet didn't exist. And then there's the millennials that, you know, grew up with the internet in full force and everything. Uh, now the, the original millennial cutoff is 1981. So like, technically I was a millennial, um, or I am a millennial depending on if anyone wants to accept the definition of zenial, right? So, but I think that this is such an important, I don't know if it's just zenials and, and, you know, the dates aren't exactly, you know, set in stone or anything like they, like they kind of are with, uh, you know, with millennials and Gen Xers and everything. But I've said this before, the people that are going to save the world, <laughs> maybe make that little kid's dream come true. The people that are going to save the world are the people that grew up without the internet and then experience the internet and, and were able to like learn it and, and, and interact with it as it was being developed. Like the people that really understand kind of the original way that the internet was, et cetera. But like the people that, that the half and halfers, okay. They're the ones that, because they know what the world was like, what it, you know, what it is, but also I think with that unique perspective, what it really can be like. Um, and you know, it's not, it's not knocking anybody. I just think that that is such an important perspective, a perspective. I mean, people talk about this with generations all the time, generations that experienced world war one, you know, they, they have a very unique perspective. Uh, same with world war two, same with all kinds of, of eras where, where people probably had very unique perspectives. So I think this concept of the Zennial, I imagine a lot of my sovereign tech list, a lot of sovereign tech listeners are in that, um, are in that generation. You're, you're a Zennial just like me, which is probably why you dig the show because you better believe I've got a ton of Gen X angst. I mean, if that doesn't put itself on fucking display every episode, you know, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I guess I'm listening to myself wrong or I'm not hearing what I'm, you know, what I'm actually saying. Uh, and, but I do, you know, at the same time that millennial optimism and drive, even though everybody I think thinks that millennials are depressed or something, which I certainly, there are many that are, and I, I completely understand why. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely have optimism. In fact, we're going to talk about some of that optimism uh, later on in the show. So I just thought that that was fascinating. The Xennials, it's the, a micro generation born kind of between Gen Xer and millennial. And they just have this like really unique perspective. And I love that it was tied in with Star Wars. I thought that that was fascinating. So anyway, let's uh, let's move on to uh, the next bit in uh, during the foreplay here. 
Um, something I want, well, you know what, this is actually, I want to let you know about this. Uh, and I've been checking it out again, uh, a piece of software that I have been recommending. Now this is only on, you know, desktops and laptops. It's not on mobile phones. In my opinion, that's a fucking good thing. Um, but anyway, it's called RetroShare. R-E-T-R-O-S-H-A-R-E. Okay. RetroShare. I'll put a link in the show notes for it. This is such an impressive piece of software. If you've never heard me talk about it, I really should make it just a tool of the week at some point. Again, it already has been, um, and I've talked about it many times, but for the Sovereign Tech patrons on Patreon, and if you're not a patron yet, just go to SovereignTech.com. You can become a patron. All you got to do is at least a dollar a month. Many people do a whole hell of a lot more than that, and I'm honored by that. Uh, but at least a dollar a month, you get access to hundreds of hours of exclusive content, new content every week, tons of perks. One of the perks is we do have uh, an actual Sovereign Tech patron. Um, I didn't set this up, you know, because I, I don't, especially right now, I really, I, I don't have the time. But an actual Sovereign Tech patron set up a, um, a retro share because uh, RetroShare is like this internet alternative software, like or World Wide Web. It's well, it's more than World Wide Web because it replaces SMTP. It can replace IRC. It's just this one piece of software that you put on your computer, uh, and you know you open it up, and it can do everything. It can send emails. It's all encrypted. It can do emails. It can do IRC. It can do you know effectively torrenting because it does it does have distributed hash tables. Uh, it, it can do all kinds of wild shit. File sharing. I mean, huge files. You can do VoIP calling. You know, you can like effectively do Skype with it. Uh, I mean, it can really do everything. It's, an, it's such an impressive little piece of software. Um, I've been talking about it since really since uh, Sovereign Tech started. Uh, you know, but nobody ever really got on board with it. But I know I have a lot of new listeners now. Um, so anyway, we have a, a Patreon RetroShare set up uh, to where you can get access to it. You get the public key, you put it in. I mean, it's not like not everybody. Well, I, I know some basic users, I think, that have, that have gotten hooked up with it. So it's gotten a lot easier. It's like a version 0.6. It's still very actively developed. Um, and what you can get on there is all the things that I talk about on this show like Babylon five or some music or whatever, like all the different like stuff that maybe you want to get your hands on to download or something. Um, you, you can get access to it through that. Uh, it's consider it like a lending library. I'm going to describe it like that. Wink, wink. Got me. Okay. So moving on. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to say where any of this content happens to live either, but you can get access to it if you become a patron. But I, I mean, I just want people using RetroShare more, you know? And so if you want it, if you want a good excuse to get on it, become a patron and you can get access to, uh, to our, our little RetroShare cabal, uh, that is honestly a, just a lot of fun and, and just a really, it's such great software. You know, everybody's always asking, well, where's the decentralized future? Where's all this stuff? You know, I talked about it years ago. And it was RetroShare, and you can install it right now. The thing is, oh, it's not on your mobile phone? Oh, I'm so sorry. Your mobile phone's a fucking block of sensors, okay? <laughs> like, if you're actually, if you're wanting to communicate, you know, uh, uh, or if you wanted to do a whole whole ton of things, not just, like, say, text somebody, because then obviously signal's great, uh, you know, you don't want to use your mobile phone for that. <laughs> oh, we might get into that a little bit more later. Anyway. So I thought that uh, I, I was really glad that that patron stepped up to the plate and uh, made that available. But do uh, do check out, um, you know, become a patron and you get access uh, on RetroShare. It's uh, just a really, really slick stuff. So, OK, now, obviously, a huge deal that happened this week was, uh, well, WWDC. Apple had their their big event. There's not a whole there are things to talk about. 
Okay. It's not like a major event where anything that was said was some kind of grand vision for the future. Like at Google's events, there seems to be this grand vision for the future at Microsoft's events. They're, they're banking big on creativity and on creating kind of the, you know, the AR VR or MR, you know, like windows MR mixed reality, uh, situation. They're, they're trying to put that together, you know, to, to give people the tools to create this virtual future, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so there's things to talk about there with Apple. I don't think there's that much to talk about. They, there, there were some plays, some things announced that lent itself to a very interesting, uh, augmented reality play by Apple. Um, but I'm still, you know, kind of doing my analysis and research on that. So I'm not going to talk about that here. It does seem at least they have it in mind. We'll see what happens. Um, but probably the most exciting thing that came out of that, uh, and, and I mean it like, like I saw this thing and I was like, Whoa, what a nice fucking computer. <laughs> I put windows 10 on it right away, but what a nice looking machine. <laughs> and that was, um, they, they announced the, uh, the, the new iMac. In fact, it's the, the iMac, uh, the iMac pro. So it's not just the iMac, but the iMac pro. And this is literally a workstation class device. Uh, 27 inches has a 5K display, just like the the iMacs of previous years um, have had the past couple of years. Uh, not, no touch. What a shock. Uh, that's probably the one thing keeping it from being a really great Windows 10 machine <laughs> because or, you know, because to compete with, like, say, uh, uh, like the Surface desktop, right, would be the fact that, you know, like. Because you have the Surface Dial, I mean, Microsoft's playing big on touch, and Apple is, seems to be sticking to their guns that they're not really interested in ever putting uh, touchscreens on their uh, devices or on, on their on their computers, which is ironic considering that they really do a great job of touch on you know their iPads and their iPhones. So why the fuck not put it on your? I mean, I don't like touchscreens. You know, don't don't misunderstand me. I just recognize that kind of the the direction that a lot of the Oh, how to put, I, I guess a lot of the software market or whatever, the app market and all this stuff is really looking at touch. And I just think it's kind of stupid, you know, to not even make that available to, to creatives, you know, uh, to developers and whatever else. And I think that's why a lot of people are running over to Microsoft surface line because everything has a goddamn touchscreen on it. You know, even though I'm not the biggest fan, I don't really have anything against it. You know, it's just, it's, it's a matter of preference, but they're not even giving you the choice. So anyway, but the iMac pro doesn't, it has the five K, you know, five K screen, 27 inch, obviously it's an iMac. So everything's all in one. That's, that's been the nature of the iMac since 1998. When I remember when I got my first iMac, uh, up to an 18 core processor. Now this isn't coffee Lake. This is a Xeon that they're putting in there, which is what makes it, you know, workstation class. Um, and I, I think it was either last week or the week before when I talked about that, you know, cause now, okay. So, so this, well, let me finish up talking about this computer. I'll, then we'll get into coffee lake a little bit. Um, but it offers anywhere between 32 gig to 128 gig of Ram. Woo. Uh, uh, one terabyte or more of solid state, uh, you know, with, with a solid state drive, uh, you know, storage there. And it has the Radeon pro Vega 56, uh, with eight gig of dedicated Ram. Um, and then it has four Thunderbolt three ports. Holy shit. Now they did update their MacBook Pros a little bit and their MacBook lines. They put KB Lake processors in them, whatever. Okay. Nothing really to write home about there. They didn't fix the dongle problem or any, anything on that. That iMac Pro, that in my opinion was the star of the show. 
Okay, there's still one other device that they announced that probably everybody's like, oh, this is the thing to talk about. No, I thought that fucking iMac Pro was the thing to talk about. I mean, it is a gorgeous computer, and that is a lot of fucking balls. That is a lot of power. Uh, I mean, it costs starting or, or, you know, or I think fully maxed out. It's five grand. I don't think it starts at five grand, uh, but, you know, maxed out five grand. But I think that's a computer worth five grand. I mean, for for the especially when you're getting that Apple quality, because, you know, let's whether you're an Apple fan or not, you know, I, I readily admit, in fact, speaking of IMAX, you know, my 98 iMac that I mentioned, that still works. That still runs. It still does things. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're you're hashing out 5K for, you know, a gorgeous computer that could potentially last you forever. You know, I mean, so that's that's totally worth buying an Apple, even if you didn't want to run Mac OS on it. Um, but I think the iMac pro is the real winner here. Uh, it's just, it's kind of, I think all that power, it's not a waste. I mean, if, if you're into, you know, like CAD and all this different stuff, yeah, I, I get why you need that power. Uh, but I mean, this is a gaming rig just dying to be messed with, you know, especially with that five, five K screen and, you know, the Radeon pro Vega ready to run that, uh, ready to run any game that you kind of throw at it. But then Mac has, I mean, yeah, you have steam on there, but kind of Mac games on steam are sort of an afterthought and still windows is the ultimate, you know, gaming, uh, platform just, just straight up. Now you can, you know, you can run bootcamp and you can put windows 10 on it, but I would, that's the thing. I, I'd, I'd put windows 10 on this thing so fast, you know, uh, it's just a shame. It doesn't have the touchscreen. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, so this is obviously the purpose of this getting released. We talked about, it, I think it was last week, how, you know, a month, two months ago, Apple said, well, yeah, we're going to come out with a new Mac Pro, you know, our new desktop right now. It looks like the trash can, right? But it's going to take 15 months. Obviously, this is an in-between thing for the, you know, people that need a workhorse. And this is pretty good. I, I, I'll give them credit. This is pretty good. Um, I'm going to guess that in, you know, now it's going to be 13 months, I guess, 14 or 13 months when we, when there's finally a Mac Pro. I'm going to guess that that's going to have probably a Coffee Lake processor in it uh, because I can't imagine what it takes to, uh, to cool that fucking Xeon running 18 cores inside of that little, you know, in that very thin, um, you know, iMac chassis. Oof. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if they're pulling any throttling down stuff or, or what they have going on, uh, but that it, I'm just saying it's a gorgeous machine. Like if somebody asked me, you know, what, what's a great computer to buy? I've got five grand to burn. I would, I would buy this one in a heartbeat. I mean, I don't know what exact, I don't think Mac OS really could take advantage of all the power that it has. Windows 10 could. Um, and if it's a Linux machine, I don't think it needs that, that, that much power. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if I'd get it if I was just going to run Linux or something, but anyway, yeah. Kudos to Apple for really putting together a beautiful piece of hardware. Uh, now speaking of what else they released, um, this is the, uh, the, the, well, they did announce, of course, a new version of Mac OS. Hi, Sierra. Puff, puff, pass. <laughs> they even turned, turned the fucking, turned the keynotes and everything. They were cracking jokes about smoking, about lighting up. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. Hi, Sierra. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the other thing is the Apple HomePod. Of course, this is a competitor, direct competitor uh, to, even though they're trying, I think, to differentiate it, but a direct competitor to what Amazon's doing with the Echo, to uh, what Harman Kardon is doing with Cortana and Microsoft, uh, and, you know, to the Google Home, right? Um, and they're trying to differentiate it and concentrate it on being an Apple Music interface or, or device. And, it, you know... <laughs> The thing is, everybody's kind of, this is so funny. 
everybody's talking about. Okay. And all you read all the reports about the Apple HomePod, the sound is amazing. In fact, I think one quote was, um, you know, the Apple HomePod sounds like an orchestra and the Amazon Echo sounds like you're listening to AM radio. That's the way they're comparing the speakers. Yes, the Amazon Echo does not have the greatest speaker on planet Earth. This is true. And, I, and believe me, I don't support any of these things. Like, I don't give a shit about any of them. Uh, you know, it's all IoT, and IoT is the death knell of any technological developing that we've done and any con- interconnectivity that we've done. Uh, if you don't believe me, October 21st, 2016. That's all I got to say. Um, so, you, you know, the day the Internet died. <laughs> but uh, the HomePod, I mean, here's the thing, like, Okay, everybody, nobody owns one of these. Nobody's actually put it in their house. So it sounds, let's be clear on this. The Apple HomePod, the speaker sounds really great in perfect conditions that Apple has set up at WWDC with the perfect music, the perfect audio that they all pre-selected, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, it's perfect conditions. Of course it's going to fucking sound great. I can think of acoustic setups where the Amazon Echo could sound like, you know, like a like a Bose wave system or something. So that's kind of bullshit. Okay. <laughs> you know, that the Apple home, oh, oh, the speaker. Oh, yeah. I, they're, they're full of it. it. It's absolutely perfect conditions that you're dealing in there. Um, now, you know, is this device going to have more Siri kind of going for it in the future? This is a huge conversation to be had. Uh, because one of the things they said, yeah, you're going to interact with Siri with it. And one of the things that Apple tried to address with the HomePod is privacy. This is something that Apple is very much as an entire company has been hanging their hat on for some time, especially since the FBI case saying we don't you know, we don't sell off your data to advertisers. I don't believe that. But whatever. That's their claim. Um, you know, and do they need to No, that that part's true. They don't need to 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 make money as a company. All they need to do is sell you the hardware because they sell it at a premium and they make premium devices, you know, like I said, but that's all they need to do. They really, that's why they don't have to charge for the OS really anymore or anything like that. I mean, it's okay. You, <laughs> you know, yeah, you don't have to sell off to advertisers. I'm just saying, I don't believe that they don't, but regardless. Um, so they're big, they're big on privacy. And they said, you know, one of the concerns was when is the Apple home pod listening? Because that's what everybody freaks out rightfully. So, or not everybody, I wish everybody did what I freak out about with these, you know, fucking, you know, assistants in a can, um, like the Amazon echo or Google home, you know, how, how often are they listening? Right. And with Amazon, you know, you have some admission to, to how often it does that it's a listening, you know, at various points. I mean, because by its nature, it has to be listening all the time because it has to be listening for the wake word, right? Be it Siri or, you know, the wake word for the echo, uh, you know, or for Google home and so on. So what happens with all of that data that gets collected? Now, Apple made it a point to say, we're only going to collect Siri data, or we're only going to, we're only going to collect, uh, you know, voice data from, uh, the home pod for six months after six months, it gets deleted or not that they're going to collect it for six months, but they'll hold what they collect for six months. And then it automatically gets deleted. Now there's an inherent problem with this that people aren't really talking about. And that is, is that you're, you're really setting up the Apple home pod for failure. Okay. And there's two arguments to make about this that I think are very interesting. Now, do I agree with like the idea of Apple not holding on to my data if I had a HomePod or whatever Apple device I had? Well, fuck yes, of course. <laughs> no, I don't want you to have my data. Okay. But he- here's, here's the inherent problem. And we, and, and then there's another argument. Okay. Here's the in- inherent problem with this is that Cortana, Google Home, and the Amazon Echo do not follow that rule. 
because they don't follow that rule, they have, they will have years worth of data down the line as to where, again, Apple's going to delete everything every six months. They're going to have years worth of data to where they can improve the Echo, you know, well, I'll say it, Alexa, where they can improve Cortana, where they can improve Google Assistant or Google Home, whatever. Um, and they're going to have like a bunch of metrics that they can collect on how things get used. They're going to be able to improve their virtual assistants. Apple is literally setting or is, is absolutely setting up Siri for failure. Because it can't, it doesn't have all the, you know, it, it doesn't have as much data as the other virtual assistants have. Now, two things, or, or well, a couple other things. So potentially Apple's lying and they're going to collect it anyway, and they're going to keep it anyway. And there's really no way to know if they, if they really delete it or not. I mean, that's, that's true for tech companies across the board. That's not just Apple. Okay. But you know, you don't know if they're going to get rid of this, you know, get rid of that data. And, you know, the, the other, the other aspect of that is, well, again, I mean, Siri's just not going to be able to interact with you as well as it normally would, because it doesn't have like your entire history. Okay. As to where the Echo, Cortana and Google Home do. Now the flip side of this, here's the, here's the irony. Okay. And, and this is kind of, this is, this is kind of strange. Uh, like th this is sort of a new thought to me, kind of a new argument to me that I'm still, I'm still chewing on i'm still working it working it out and the argument goes like this is that yeah one could kind of make the case that apple really does give a shit about privacy and that's why you find a lot of big executives and you know people that you would think would have a lot of, you know would really need to take i mean i think everybody needs to take security seriously but we're talking about people of uh, of degree of merit and whatever that really need to take security seriously really need to uh you know be concerned about privacy you know etc whatever high high powered individuals whatever you want to call them okay um I think that there's a reason that they, they go with that. It's not just status symbol. It's like, well, you know, they, they have, a, you know, they have security teams that are telling them, no, you, you should be using Apple products because they actually give a shit and they do security pretty well, which we talked about this recently. I mean, even with, uh, what was the leaks, uh, from WikiLeaks, the vault seven, Apple was the one that, that, you know, they weren't perfect, but they were the closest one to smelling like a rose coming out of that, out of that whole situation. So yeah, Apple's really good at security. That's, you know, no, no argument for me, you know, on that. Um, but here's, so here's the funny thing is that because Siri, by the very nature of the fact that they don't keep data is going to be an inferior product, you're pushing, you know, uh, uh potential home pod buyers into the ecosystems of echo Cortana, uh, you know, and Google home. And by pushing them there, you, I mean, like you're actually, you know, this is how, this is kind of how the argument goes. You're actually making the world less private, which would seem antithetical, right? Because wait a minute, no, it's better if Apple doesn't keep the data, right? Isn't it better if, if people aren't keeping the data, then, you know, then of course it's more private because the data is not out there. Not actually, because these, because it, what it comes down to is the question is, who do you trust most with your privacy? What company do you trust most with your privacy? Do you trust Amazon? I wouldn't. Do you trust uh, Microsoft? Eh. I mean, they're doing pretty good against the DOJ, admittedly, but eh. uh, do you trust Google? Well, fuck no. <laughs> I don't trust Google with shit. Um, do you trust Apple? Like, which of those companies do you trust the most with that? And if somebody said to me out of those four, like if this were the choice and, and you could say maybe it's like a false dichotomy or something, but you know, or a false choice, but 
you know, it, out of those companies, which one would you trust the most? If somebody said Apple, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I, I understand why you say that. Like, I, I don't, I don't really blame you, uh, you know, for, for thinking that way, but what company out of those, out of those same four is actually going to give you the best virtual assistant experience. It's not going to be Apple just by the nature of the fact that they're deleting your data every six months. And the other three companies will keep it willy nilly, always available, ready to serve you. Do you get my point? So pushing people away from Apple is almost making the, the argument could go is that pushing people away from Apple's ecosystem, like with the HomePod that doesn't collect, that doesn't keep your data is actually making the world overall less private because it's going to companies that aren't as good as securing your privacy. You see, so that's an interesting argument. I'm still kind of chewing on that. I'm still thinking about that. I, I get it. I understand, I understand the point, uh, I mean, really, the ultimate option is don't fucking buy these fucking tin cans, you know, virtual assistants. Just don't get any of them. Don't get, you know, don't buy into Harman Kardon shit with Cortana. Don't buy the Google Home. Don't buy the Echo. Don't buy the, you know, the HomePod. Don't get any of them. And just, 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 you know, keep those, those, those you know, the, that little can of, of microphones away from you, you know, as much as you can. So, yeah, I, I mean, but it, it's, it's stuff to think about. So Apple could really be hurting themselves with the fact that they're not keeping data and you know, roundabout, if everybody kind of gets on board with these, you know, with these, uh, you, you know, these little virtual assistants, um, or assistants in a can, maybe that's why I should start calling them. Yeah, we got a problem. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, I want to move, I want to move on from that. So the home pod, I mean, it's definitely the way they were marketing. It was towards Apple music, which is a smart move on their part. Because, I mean, Apple and music, you know, that's they're, they're synonymous. Uh, it, it is it is the direction to 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 look at that. Um, next thing, this was actually sent in from a from a great listener, uh, and and I thought that this was this was very interesting because it proves something that I said was going to happen. Now, there's some speculation as to what exactly this is, but it, there was um, there was kind of an announcement, uh, some papers, you know, some some memos going around about uh what's called an advanced windows 10 pro uh it's like windows 10 pro for enterprise i I think that's the full name of it and they're talking about like so here here's here's the question is that is this really just windows 10 enterprise rebranded because and and this is dumb that microsoft has this they have so many different SKUs. they have so many different little versions of windows 10 uh, that it's hard to tell what actually has what features. So, but this is being sold to enterprise, uh, and it's on a subscription model, which we already knew that Microsoft was offering offering Windows 10 uh, Enterprise on a subscription model, which is what I said. So, my prediction was is that eventually, because like pretty much you can get Windows 10 for free, more more or less, you can get Windows 10 for free forever. Okay, especially if you use like that, uh, you know where you have a, a disability or something, you know, and you're using tools for, uh, you know, ease of access and whatever. Um, but, you know, I said, it's like sooner or later, Microsoft's going to be releasing features to where you are going to end up paying for a version of windows 10 that only has those features. It's going to be a subscription model and you'll pay out for that. And, and, but then everybody else that's on kind of the free version of windows will have effectively an inferior product. This is really pointing in that direction. Uh, this, this advanced version of windows 10. So yeah, I called it. There it is. <laughs> and I mean, and I don't have to say that I'm not boasting, you know, the, the listener that shared it with me said, Whoa, you're right. You know? So there, I'm just quoting him. Uh, and 
really, really, I mean, some, again, some people are saying that this is just Windows 10 Pro enter, or Windows 10 Enterprise uh, kind of rebranded, that it's really not an advanced or like a pro version or something. Uh, but other people are saying, no, this is going to have very unique features that are only available to it. And so, yeah, I mean, and will this eventually get into the consumer space to where there's unique features that if you pay a subscription fee for your operating system, which I think is fucking mind boggling and ridiculous, uh, you know, could that happen down the line? Yeah, I, I think that's going to happen down the line. Uh, you know, I, I've been predicting that for years now, uh, really ever since Windows 10 was announced and kind of the business model that they were planning for Windows 10 was announced. Um, I was thinking about that. Yeah. So Windows 10 Pro for workstation PCs, that's what it's called. Um, but again, some people are saying it's just Windows 10 Enterprise. We'll see when it when it's more out there if there's any actual features added on, but it's definitely looking like exactly what I predicted to where, yep, there's going to be an advanced version of Windows 10 that you are going to have to pay a subscription fee for right on. So anyway, um, yeah, thank you for sending that in, making me uh, making me aware of it. Some of these things, you know, feel free to still send me stories, even though I, I you know, mainly save a lot of the listener interaction for Patreon. You know, sometimes I miss shit. We've got another story that was sent in by a great listener, actually by a great friend as well, uh, that that I'm going to be getting into. So, you know, feel free to send me stories and maybe I will uh, I will get to them. So, yeah, Windows 10 advanced. Maybe this will be, uh, you know, implementing the features from Midori, Windows Midori that I've talked about in the past and actually written about if you look on my uh, Medium page. But anyway, uh, whew, let's get into uh, let's get into some other stuff really quickly uh, just to be conscious of time uh google has canceled apparently has canceled andromeda now we didn't ever what is andromeda nobody really knew the the assumption was is that google was looking to combine um android and chrome os which has seemingly been a flop because android apps getting released on chrome os has not worked out very well there's there's been all kinds of problems maybe that'll change the next year but the the idea was what people thought andromeda was was this was this fusion of, of the two. And now whatever it is, you know, based upon insider notes, it's, it's not actually, it's been killed. Uh, also, I just heard this, uh, yesterday was that Google is selling off Boston dynamics, which is one of the scarier purchases, uh, that people felt that they made because, you know, Boston dynamics had, which is, it's a robotics company, which had to deal with, um, uh, you know, like military contracts and everything really, really creepy shit. Uh, so I think that that's fascinating that that has happened. Um, but yeah, Andromeda, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say other than maybe this whole Android slash Chrome OS merger isn't, isn't going to happen. Um, of course we now know about the real time operating system, that being Google's fuchsia, uh, which you, you can, you know, you can look at, um, cause it's right on GitHub. I mean, you can look at the code for it, but maybe that's maybe Andromeda got killed off because fuchsia is becoming a thing. I've talked about fuchsia in past episodes. Um, you know, please do listen to past episodes of sovereign tech. If you want, I mean, because I, I like to think every episode's evergreen and every episode really builds on top of each other. Not to say new listeners can't just jump on board and, and roll with it. But if you want to confirm what I'm actually saying, and if you want to like, say, confirm my predictions, like with, you know, that advanced version of windows 10 that you have to pay for, um, or pay a subscription for, uh, you know, you can be the Bereans and check on me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my uh i'm an atheist but my 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 christian listeners would would know a thing or two about the bereans i'm sure so anyway um yeah andromeda gone uh, you know the other personally what what i think i don't know that it's necessarily fuchsia because we don't know what fuchsia is going to be about but i think google is really going i mean uh, i think i talked about this on a on a patreon episode where google they said it at google io and they said it previously that they're not a search first company they're an ai first company now 
and they're really going for zero UI. So coming out with a new operating system with a new, you know, GUI and everything. Why? Like that's a, that that's a waste of, of company resources. If you're just trying to have everything go into artificial quote unquote, artificial intelligence, I have problems with that term, but you know, you can listen to past episodes. Well, we're, we're actually, we're going to get into talking about AI here in a minute. Um, so I think really that's probably why Andromeda got canceled. Whatever it was actually going to be, it's going to be some kind of operating system, some kind of project, uh, but probably because of the new push for going to zero UI. Uh, I mean, you know, something else like why it's, it's odd that, you know, they just suddenly sold off Boston dynamics. Like I said, as soon as they got, as soon as they lost Andy Rubin, who's now doing his stuff with essential, which I won't have time to get to this week. Um, but you know, Andy Rubin seemed to be the big guy behind robotics with Google. And now it looks like Google's kind of getting out of that. So a company really shifting right now, I think. So anyway, uh, that's that's it as far as the foreplay for this week. Uh, the rest of the stuff I think I will save for later in the show. Just a little notes that we can make. But woo, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Got your story of the week coming, and it's a doozy. Hey, whoa. You know, I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but if uh, if you didn't hear me about it then... I want you to check out a podcast. Are you a Star Wars fan? Oh, shut the fuck up. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You know you are. And if you're not, hell, I want you to listen to this podcast even more because it'll make you one. It is so damn good. That is Resist the Empire Podcast. Go to resisttheempirepodcast.com. It is one of my favorite podcasts out there. I really appreciate that they're a sponsor of the show. Um, I mean, it is such a high-end production, such great stuff talked about. It's one of the best. I, I listen to a lot of Star Wars podcasts. A lot of them are pissing me off. I'll tell you one that does not. That is resisttheempirepodcast.com. These guys are delivering every single episode. They have a lot of fun. They do a lot of unique things with the show. Like they do a very unique character analysis, kind of political character analysis with it. They do one per episode. It's genius. Uh, And I mean, all kinds of cool stuff. And you get all your latest news. You get reviews of, you know, books, comics, shows, all, all everything you could want. If you love Star Wars and you get that liberty oriented perspective. Okay. Which is really rare in Star Wars. Go for it. Resist the Empire Podcast.com. We thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Story of the week. Woo, oh boy. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna break this show up into segments, no doubt about it, because I've got so many things I want to cover, and I've been wanting to do the new segments for a while because the new segments will allow you, if you're wondering where the intros are, just be patient. Trust me, I there there's there's a reason. <laughs> the Lord Sovereign works in mysterious ways. <laughs> but anyway, uh Yeah, you know, with the segments, I feel like it'll give me the opportunity or with more segments, there's going to be a lot of segments in this episode. It'll give me the opportunity to give you things to walk away from the show with more instead of just thoughts or like, you know, things to be, ah, you know, terrified about or whatever. Uh, Even though this might be what I'm about to tell you about for the story of the week might be the ultimate in terror. Uh, And according to at least some people think that way, but there's a lot of theories that you have to buy into. For this to become a terrifying prospect to you. And what I'm talking about is uh, Rocco's Basilisk, which, or Rocco's, I don't, don't, maybe it's Rocco's, but I've always called it Rocco's Basilisk. Uh, And this is a concept from 2010. So, and it was on a, there's, there's a, a, I mean, maybe not so well-known, but very popular uh, forum called Less Wrong. Okay. Think of it as like a 4chan for people that are like really, really technical, analytical, a lot of techno futurists uh, and all that. I've certainly spent some time on it. Uh, it's, it's a, 
it's a hell of a place. <laughs> you definitely get some, some pretty wild ideas um, there. But I mean, it, its primary concentration, you know, is on futurism. Uh, there's a lot of people on there that are really big on, you know, the singularity, on artificial intelligence becoming a thing. Part of the reason I don't really frequent it much, you know, any longer is that I, I don't really buy into a lot of their a lot of what they have to say. Uh, but anyway, less wrong. Yeah. Kind of, kind of a famous thing. A lot of big names hang out on there though. I mean, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it, yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty much a think tank, you know, there's actual, there's entire institutes really tied to it. In fact, the guy that created uh, a less wrong, uh, uh, Eliezer, uh, Yudkowsky had, or, uh, let's see. Yeah. He runs the machine intelligence research Institute, um, which, Lots of people have, you know, certainly been uh, uh, boosters of that, you know, including Peter Thiel, Ray Kurzweil. I mean, Yudkowsky's, you know, big deal, especially when it comes to a lot of the, you know, academic discussions really around AI. Uh, if you've never heard his name, well, remember it because it's, you know, it's a big one out there. So anyway, I'm going to read a little bit from an article that talks about uh, Rocco's Basilisk and well, because I mean, there, there's a lot to, again, there's a lot of theories that we got to break down and there's a lot of stuff that we want to get into, but this is the concern that like an AI, I mean, you know, it, in putting it basically, this is the concern that there's an AI already in the future that is actually controlling you right now to kind of bring it into existence. It's, it's sort of like Skynet, but it's Skynet on an omniscient level, not where it's just Skynet sending back a Terminator. It's where Skynet is you know, like, like punishing you in the future and like potentially even killing you, then resurrect. I mean, like it, it, this is really fucked up. We, why don't we just, let's start reading it. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Uh, one day less wrong user Rocco, or maybe again, maybe it's Rocco, uh, postulated a thought experiment. What if in the future, a somewhat malevolent AI were to come about and punish those who did not do its bidding? What if there were a way, and I'll explain how, for this AI to punish people today who are not helping it come into existence later. In that case, weren't the readers of less wrong right uh, than being given the choice of either helping that evil? Uh, yeah. Weren't the readers of less wrong right than being given the choice of either helping that evil AI come into existence or being condemned to suffer? You may be a bit confused, but the founder of less wrong, that being Yudkowsky, uh, was not. He reacted with horror. Um, now, stallion breaking and understand like a lot of people on less wrong again, and these are a lot of brains, you know, brainy folk. They really believe this. Okay. <laughs> in fact, I mean, the, the story, we'll talk about it a bit, but it was banned to be even talked about. You didn't talk about Rocco's Basilisk at all on less wrong. You just, you know, every post would get deleted that brought it up. Um, I think the ban got lifted in 2015 finally, which there's an interesting concept around that because, you know, this idea of this future evil AI that's affecting the past. Again, that's the basics of it. Um, it's interesting that in 2015, the ban gets lifted because 2015 is really when like machine stories about machine learning and a lot of the books, you know, kind of like Nick Bostrom's and some other stuff really start, you know, more popular stuff about AI started hitting stride. Uh, so there's, there might be some kind of, uh, connection there but well anyway let me read on so this is a uh, yudkowsky's response to the concept that there is this future ai that is affecting the past and is punishing anybody that isn't working towards bringing that ai into fruition 
in the future, you know, to guarantee uh, its existence. Kind of a Terminator scenario, but a little different. Uh, anyway, let me let me read uh, Yudkowsky's reaction. Listen to me, and this is his, his reaction to Rocco. Listen to me very closely, you idiot. You do not think in sufficient detail about super intelligences considering whether or not uh, to blackmail you. That is the only possible thing which gives them a motive to follow through on the blackmail. You have to be really clever to come up with a genuinely dangerous thought. I am disheartened that people can be clever enough to do that and not clever enough to do the obvious thing and keep their idiot mouths shut about it because it is much more important to sound intelligent when talking to your friends. This post was stupid. Yudkowsky, reading on, Yudkowsky said that Rocco had already given nightmares to several less wrong users and had brought them to the point of breakdown. Yudkowsky ended up deleting the thread completely, thus assuring that Rocco's basilisk would become the stuff of legend. It was a thought experiment so dangerous that merely thinking about it was hazardous, not only to your mental health, but to your very fate. Now we're going to break, if Stanley breaking in, if you're confused, we're going to get into some background here. Okay. To understand what's going on. But believe me, people are really terrified about this. And I think people were, and maybe still do have genuine nightmares about the whole situation because just thinking about it, just typing it out on the internet. It, it, do, do you get where this becomes a problem or, you know, what, why Yudkowsky reacted so strongly? I'll give more background here in a second, but he reacted very strongly because just typing out the concept could have given this AI in the future, which would have had, you know, which potentially has access to the entirety of the internet saying, Oh shit, I got to make sure that these people actually bring me into, you know, this is the AI thinking. I need to make sure that people actually bring me into existence uh, because, you know, what, what if they don't? And, and so, so it creates this blackmail situation. Um, and that's why Yudkowsky was, was freaking out because he's saying, look, you should have just kept your mouth shut. Don't type this shit on the internet. Don't go telling people about this because the AI, I mean, fuck, especially if you have, you know, your Apple HomePod nearby, the AI is going to hear you and it's going to have that data later on in the future. Maybe with the HomePod, you wouldn't because it would get deleted in six months, but <laughs> supposedly. So anyway, let, let, let's get into some background. That, that's, these are the thought experiments. This is kind of the game theory that freaks people to fuck out, but there's relax because the golden stallion is going to tell you that like there's there's one one part of this that doesn't really gel uh and 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 debunks the whole thing so all right let's let's do this. some background is in order the less wrong community is concerned with the future of humanity and in particular the singularity the hypothesized future point at which computing power becomes so great that superhuman artificial intelligence becomes possible as does the capability to simulate human minds upload minds to computers and more or less allow a computer to simulate life itself the term was coined in 1958 in a conversation between mathematical geniuses Stanislaw Ulam and uh, John von Neumann where von Neumann said quote the ever accelerating progress of technology gives the appearance of approaching some essential singularity in the history of the race beyond which human affairs as we know them could not continue end quote futurists like science fiction writer Werner Vinge uh, or Vinge or whatever and, and engineer author Kurzweil popularized the term and as with many interested in the singularity they believe that exponential increases in computing power will cause the singularity to happen very soon within the next 50 years or so Kurzweil is chugging 150 vitamins a day to stay alive until the singularity while Yudkowsky and Peter Thiel have enthused about cryonics uh, the the perennial favorite of rich dudes who want to live forever quote if you don't sign up for sign up your kids for cryonics then you are a lousy parent end quote Yudkowsky writes okay I want to there's so much to unpack even right there so uh, one thing 
yeah, I agree. Cry- I, I'm, I'm in agreement with, uh, with Yudkowsky. Cryonics is a very important field. Um, it's definitely something I'm a huge supporter of and something I think people need to take very seriously. I'm not going to say, you know, you're a bat, you're a lousy parent. If you don't get, get your kids, uh, you know, a sign up with, um, you know, some kind of cryonic, uh, company or whatever, but, and they are out there, but whatever, I think it's an important thing to certainly to consider something that definitely interests me and in that I am, I'm totally on board with freezing myself, uh, <laughs> you know, at, at that point. But again, I don't really plan on dying. So here's, here's problem one. Okay. Is that there's the assumption based upon something from the fifties and, and they're, they're, they're being very particular in what quotes they pull out here. Like the quotes from Von Neumann. The thing is, is Von Neumann said a whole hell of a lot more than that. Okay. Von Neumann made it very clear that they thought back in the fifties, understand like, and in the sixties, they thought that within like seven to 10 years, and this is back in the days of Marvin Minsky. Well, I love Marvin Minsky. Uh, you know, back, you know, he's died, unfortunately, <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, they thought then that within five to 10 years, AI would be a thing then, you know, I mean, you're barely talking about the time of the transistor, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like vacuum tubes are still all the rage and they thought that they were going to have AI look at where we are now and we don't have AI I mean some people want to argue you know like Stephen Grand and some others that well AI is actually already here we just don't recognize it um, I, I can appreciate those arguments but I'm I'm not 100% on board with those yet that's still research that I'm doing um, but understand that these guys were saying AI would be you know available then and that's why I call I call bullshit so much on what on a lot of what Kurzweil has to say, uh, particularly if you ever read the book. And I did, you know, that came out in 05. Uh, the singularity is near a lot of his predictions in that. I think there's been a lot of massaging of his pred- predictions because I know a lot of the ones that he talked about in that have not come to pass. And he was talking five, 10 year timelines. And we're in 2017, baby. Um, so, you know, th- this is another part. I talked about this a bit last week that I don't know if a if an AGI, artificial general intelligence, which is this AI that they're describing here that could, you know, simulate life itself, if it's ever even going to be a thing, because I mean, the science, you know, the scientists have been dead wrong for decades now, since 58, they have been wrong on when it was going to finally uh, be a thing. So anyway, whatever, I, th- that's that's just what I want to say on that. So there's problem one with with the entire notion uh, of Rocco's Basilisk. Uh, let's read on a bit here. If you believe the singularity is coming, I don't, uh, or at least at the moment, I don't. And that very powerful AIs are in our future. I, I know I'm going to get punished by Rocco's Basilisk. <laughs> One obvious question is whether those AIs will be benevolent or malicious. Yudkowsky's foundation, again, the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, has the explicit goal of steering the future toward friendly AI. For him and for many less wrong posters, uh, this issue is of, of paramount importance, easily trumping the environment and politics. Uh, or yeah, the environment and politics to them, the singularity brings about the machine equivalent of God itself. Now understand the story I'm reading from, I think it's like from like 2013, 2014, it's a few years old. So this is before Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking and Bill Gates and all those, you know, started their foundation for making sure that AI is kind of a friendly AI or where they're trying to get into IA, which is intelligence augmentation, where you improve humans to combat AI, uh, which is an interesting concept in itself. So, Reading on, yet this doesn't explain why Rocco's basilisk, basilisk is so horrifying. That requires looking at a critical article of faith in the less wrong ethos. Timeless decision theory, or what's called TDT. TDT is a guideline for rational action based on game theory, Bayesian probability, and decision theory with a smattering of parallel universes and quantum mechanics on the side. 
TDT has its roots in the classic thought experiment of decision theory called Newcomb's Paradox, in which a super intelligent alien presents two boxes to you. So Stallion breaking in again. So, you know, what you're going to get here is a kind of a metaphor where, you know, with Newcomb, Newcomb's Paradox, that has to deal with like, you know, meeting like a super intelligence that's alien. But what they'll do is, is with Rocco's Basilisk, they'll apply it to AI. So there's a, there's a point, um, to why they're talking about it. Uh, you know, why they're talking about Newcomb's paradox, which has to do with a, a kind of a different creature when really it's not that different. The whole concept is just dealing with super intelligence. So the alien gives you reading on the alien gives you the choice of either taking both boxes or only taking box B. So picture two boxes, box a box B something's in box a something's in box B. Okay. The stallion breaking in. All right. Reading on. If you take both boxes, you're, uh, you're guaranteed at least $1,000. All right. So in box A, there's $1,000. If you just take box P, box B, you aren't guaranteed anything. But the alien has another twist. Its supercomputer, which knows just about everything, made a prediction a week ago as to whether you would take both boxes or just box B. If the supercomputer predicted you'd take both boxes, then the alien left the second box empty. If the supercomputer predicted you'd just take box B, then the alien put one million dollars in box B. Okay, so in box A, to, to, to break this down for you, in box A, you have one thousand dollars. In box B, you have the potential for either nothing or a million dollars. Now, this alien's supercomputer, you know, through like maybe something like uh, Asimov psychohistory or something, right? Figured out whether or not you would choose box A or box B, or if you choose both. Um, if you choose, if you choose both, then you get a thousand dollars because there won't be anything in. Uh, you know, in, in box B, if you choose both, if you just choose box A, you just get a thousand dollars, but you kind of know what's in box A. But if you just chose box B, if you took it as an article of faith, you'd end up with a million dollars. Okay. So that's Newcomb's paradox. Uh, I mean, or the, well, that's, that's how it starts off. So let's read on a little more. So what are you going to do? Remember the supercomputer has always been right in the past, uh, you know, right as in what choices get made. This problem has baffled no end of decision theorists. The alien can't change what's already in the boxes from a week ago, right? So whatever you do, you're guaranteed to end up with more money by taking both boxes than by just taking box B, regardless of the, of the prediction. Of course, if you think that way and the computer predicted you'd think that way, then box B will be empty and you'll only get $1,000. Again, the $1,000 that's in box A. If the computer is so awesome at its predictions, you ought to take box B only and get the cool million, right? But what if the computer was wrong this time? And regardless, whatever the computer said then can't possibly change what's happening now, right? So prediction be damned, take both boxes. But then, okay, so they're saying, what's the safe bet? Take, take both of them. That way, at least you get $1,000 because you don't know what the computer predicted. But then the maddening conflict between free will and godlike prediction uh, has not led to any resolution of Newcomb's products. Uh, or paradox and people will call themselves one boxers or two boxers, depending on where they side. Uh, and the person saying my, what my wife once declared herself a one boxer saying, I trust the computer. Uh, TDT has some very definite advice on Newcomb's paradox. Take box B, but TDT goes, goes a bit further. Even if the alien jeers at you saying, quote, the computer said you take both boxes. So I left box B empty. Yeah, 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 yeah end quote, and then opens box B and shows you that it's empty, you should still only take box B and get bupkis. Um, I've ado adopted this example from Gary or whatever. Anyway, uh, the rationale for this eludes easy summary, but the simplest argument is that you might be in the computer simulation. 
In order to make its prediction, the computer would have to simulate the universe itself. That includes simulating you. So you, right this moment, might be in the computer's simulation, and what you do will impact what happens in reality or other realities. So take box B, and the real you will get a cool million. So the point, the point that's being made here, okay, and then we'll get back to what this has to do with Rocco's Basilisk. I hope I'm not confusing everybody. Um, the point that's being made here is that the theory goes, you might be actually, you know, for this super, this alien supercomputer to know which box you're going to choose, either the one with $1,000 or if you're going to choose both boxes and end up with only $1,000 or if you're just going to choose box B that would have a million dollars in it because it's the only one you chose. Otherwise, again, it would have nothing if you chose both boxes. Okay. Um, that that computer simulation, you might actually be the you in the computer simulation that the alien supercomputer based its prediction upon. Okay. So, yeah. So it's saying, you know, go ahead and choose box B because that way, at least, you know, even if you end up with nothing, you just might be the one in the computer simulation and the real you in the real world that the prediction is supposed to be applying to will end up with a million dollars. And so, you know, you help the real you out and effectively you won whatever makes up you, uh, you know, but I mean, that's getting into, oh, you know, can you simulate the entire universe, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, there, again, it's even with TDT, there's a lot of things that you're, you're really assuming here. So, all right, how does, what does this have to do with Rocco's Basilisk? Let's get into that. Um, what does this all have to do with Rocco's Basilisk? Well, Rocco's Basilisk also has two boxes to offer you. Perhaps you right now, are in a simulation being run by Rocco's Basilisk, then perhaps Rocco's Basilisk is implicitly offering you a somewhat modified version of Newcomb's Paradox, like this. So instead of box A with $1,000 and box B with either a million dollars or nothing, depending upon your choice, um, box A has devote your life to helping create Rocco's Basilisk, you know, help this AI come into fruition and become its servant. Or box B, which has either eternal torment because you're not choosing to help out uh, the, you know, the, this future AI, or it has nothing if you chose both boxes, right? Just like you did with the thousand and the million. So Rocco's Basilisk has told you that if you just take box B, then it's got eternal torment in it uh, because Rocco's Basilisk would really you rather take box A and box B. In that case, you'd best make sure you're devoting your life to helping create Rocco's Basilisk because should Rocco's Basilisk come to pass or worse, if it's already come to pass and is God effectively, you know, again, we're talking about an AI here uh, of this particular instance of reality, and it sees that you chose not to help it out, you're screwed. You may be wondering why this is such a big deal for the rest, the less wrong people, given the apparently far-fetched nature of the thought experiment. It's not that Rocco's Basilisk will necessarily materialize or is even likely to. It's more that if you've committed yourself to timeless decision theory, okay, that's TDT, then thinking about this sort of trade literally makes it more likely to happen. After all, if Rocco's Basilisk were to were to see this sort of blackmail gets you to help it come into existence, then it would, as a rational actor, blackmail you. The problem isn't with the Basilisk itself, but with you. Yudkowsky doesn't censor every mention of, Yac of Rocco's Basilisk because he believes it exists or will exist, but because he believes that the idea of the Basilisk and the ideas behind it is dangerous. Now, Rocco's Basilisk is only dangerous if you believe all of the above preconditions and commit to making the two-box deal with the Basilisk, but at least some of the less wrong members do believe all of the above, which makes... Uh, Rocco's Basil is quite literally forbidden knowledge. Yeah. So anyway, we, I, I could stop there that, you know, there's, there's more kind of in the article, but then it just gets into the guy's personal opinion. 
So here's the problem. All right, there, there's there's two clinch pins. Would that be the right word to use? There's two clinch pins here. Two things kind of holding it together. All right, one is is that there's even going to like that an AI, an AGI, you know, this this future AI that could even affect the past, you know, something like a Skynet is even possible. I would argue right now, I don't think so. Okay, so there you go. I, I guess I chose. Um, I guess I chose Box B. I chose Eternal Torment and Rocco's Basilisk. <laughs> I don't feel tormented. In fact, quite the opposite. Woo. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, it kind of reminds me, like when you think about it that way, like, okay, so if there's this AI in the future that's affecting you in the past um, and, you know, you're constantly getting screwed in the past, you, you know, or constantly, you know, negative affectations happening to you. Um, I mean, it's sort of like, well, you know, if there's a God, he'll swallow me whole right now because I, I spoke out against him and it never happens. Right. So I kind of feel like that that almost puts the kibosh on, on the notion anyway. I mean, unless your life is supposed to be that much greater. But not, anyway, that <laughs> this, this is this, is you know, people into decision theory, game theory and all that. I mean, this is the stuff that they're they're gaming all the time that they're thinking about all the time. Um, but then the second part is accepting this notion of, of TDT. OK, of, you know, timeless decision theory. And the, the best way that I can really explain TDT is it's kind of like the notion that or like, there's an old saying, if a man thinks he's going to die in 24 hours, it's probably he'll probably make it happen. That's TDT. OK, I mean, that that's in, in, in basic, you know, in, in a nutshell, saying that if you're thinking that it's going to end up becoming a thing, just thinking it starts to make it come into into fruition. It's not the law of attraction or like making something out of nothing. It's your intentionality that is, you know, kind of bringing it on. Like in the case of the guy who thinks he's going to die in 24 hours, um, maybe he's going to be a lot less, he's going to be so nervous. Um, he'll cross the street when he shouldn't and he'll end up getting, you know, hit by a car because he's so scared to death that he's going to die in 24 hours. When if he didn't know that he was going to die in 24 hours, maybe he never would have died. He wouldn't have been nervous and wouldn't have run out in front of traffic. You see what I'm saying? So, um, TDT, I, I don't buy that. Like, I don't think, I don't think humans operate that way. And a very simple, you know, uh, way of, of going about, you know, of, I think disproving TDT would be social media would be Facebook. People just don't remember at all. Okay. And in fact, now, now that there is kind of a memory bank of sorts that you can access with Facebook, like say where, you know, it says, uh, one year ago, like remember each, each day it gives you memories. One year ago, you thought about this. How many of you, I mean, just, just do this to yourself, you know, go to facebook.com slash on this day. If you're on Facebook and if you are, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm sorry for myself, you know, and you'll see, and like, there's probably, you probably made some kind of resolution or something like this and it just didn't, none of it happened. Like you're, you'll probably look at it and go, oh yeah, well, I totally forgot about that. I never took action upon that. Um, I mean, I, this, I can see this all the time where there's things where there's thoughts that I had that are relevant to things that I should be talking about or that I'd be talking about now that I just don't, I like absolutely do not cross my mind in any way, shape or form. And they'd be so helpful if I did remember them. Um, so that's the thing. Timeless decision theory is, is really bullshit because human memory doesn't, you know, even unconsciously doesn't really work that way with so many, with so many concepts that you think about, uh, you know, and I, I could, I could give a million examples as, as to why this is, but yeah. So Rocco's Basilisk, the whole notion here, I mean, like it sounds, it is, Sounds really scary, right? And there's certainly a lot of people who really do buy into it. But understand that these people that buy into it, they're accepting a lot of initial premises. They're accepting TDT. They're accepting that the singularity is inevitable, uh, which 
how, how can anybody make that claim? Um, I mean, especially with the evidence presented, how many, t if you're basing the inevitability based upon what other scientists have said, um, you know, and what they've worked on, well, it's not here. <laughs> it, it, you know, arguably, I mean, there's arguments that it's close. Then there's arguments that it's not at all. You know, that, it, that, you know, the argument, like the arguments that it's not close are effectively saying that the arguments made that an AI or the singularity is close are redefining terms and are, you know, kind of like massaging the data to make it look like there, there's something more there than what actually is. Um, so no, I don't stay up at night about Rocco's basilisk. Um, humans do not function in the way that just what they think, uh, puts them down kind of a path, uh, or just what they think will, will have something, you know, kind of come into creation. I mean, how many projects, you know, I know I have projects that I I've never completed, um, that just never come into fruition. I mean, they just, they never do. How many people do that that have died? You know, so, so that's the thing, like, like this really doesn't, I mean, and then they say, well, maybe it's because it's on a mass scale, like maybe, you know, because it's a bunch of people thinking kind of the same thought that that's what guarantees it, you know, to, to, to come into fruition more. No, that's easily debunkable too. In fact, one of my favorite cases uh, is from the nineties where uh, Gary Kasparov, one of the greatest chess players ever, um, who was beat by quote unquote, an AI, it wasn't exactly an AI. It was just a machine really good at chess. Uh, from IBM, of course, you know, the, uh, was it blue? No oh, shit. I remember, I can't remember the name of it. See, <laughs> uh, but, um, Gary Kasparov, he played a game where he took on 10,000 human beings around the world. Now these 10,000 human beings had one goal beat Gary Kasparov and they couldn't like it, it, that, that outcome didn't come into fruition. This is one of my major, major problems, uh, with things like auger, where you get into wisdom of the crowds, the wisdom of the crowds is bullshit. Because I mean, that's kind of the other thing that you have to buy into. There's so many different ideas you have to buy into to our Rocco's Basilisk, this, you know, concern of a future AI that will, uh, you know, that will do everything it can to make sure it comes into fruition. Just, just doesn't gel. It doesn't fly. It, it, it goes against the very nature. I mean, the very nature of humanity, the, the human condition, like it stands in contrast. The theories required are, you know, humans aren't computers folks. <laughs> okay. They're just not, they, they don't like once something's imprinted in their circuits, it does not affect the, it really doesn't affect their future. Like, I, I mean, not, not, not necessarily in a meaningful way. So anyway, whew, that's Rocco's Basilisk. I actually had somebody ask me to want to talk about that. And so, yeah, I, I think the whole notion is just fucking bullshit. So we'll be back with right, uh, with some more cyber right after this. Woo. Wow. Well, let me tell you something, you know, maybe something that, that, that future AI couldn't control. You want to get your hands on. How about some gold and silver, baby? Ooh, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Go to Roberts and Roberts brokerage, get your hands on some precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, palladium, all of it. Hell, maybe the robot needs that to, or maybe the, the AI needs that to build itself. And if it's in your hands, it can't get it. Woo. So get your hands on that. You can use Bitcoin. They are a cryptocurrency preferred business. They want your Bitcoin. They know it's real money. Jump on it diversify your wealth, get your hands on some of that cold storage, especially with Bitcoin's price being so nice. Uh, go for rrbi.co, let them know the golden stallion sent you. And we appreciate Robertson Roberts brokerage, uh, sponsoring sovereign tech. Let's get back to the show. Game talk. Woo. Time for some game talk, boy. After that, not, I hope that wasn't depressing. I mean, unless you buy into TDT and you buy into the singularity and everything, um, then I guess, I'm sorry. I just gave you some nightmares <laughs> with old Rocco's Basilisk. Uh, but I like to think that it, I, I fairly well uh, debunked it again. I mean, 
you got to buy into so many things for, for it to be so. Um, so I'm going to end up skipping Hacksec because it took us a lot longer to talk about Rocco's Basilisk than I expected. Uh, so let's get right into Game Talk. And there's a few things I, I actually I, I want to discuss. Um, game Talk, of course, is where we talk video games because, as I've said in the past on the show, Game Talk is a returning uh, feature to the show. It's a returning segment. Uh, you know, I, I take segments away and I bring them back all the time. Uh, like every 25 episodes, I like to change up the show. Uh, but like I've often said, you know, I am, as far as how do I identify, I am a gamer first, historian second, and I am a tech journalist third. Uh, so, you know, gaming is number one for me. So I always love getting to talk about it. Uh, a couple of interesting things to bring up. If you were excited about the NES classic, but you're wondering, Hey, maybe could I get this for Genesis? Now, a bunch of these have kind of existed. There was like the Atari ones. There have been some lackluster ones. In fact, I talked about them on sovereign tech, uh, that were claiming to be like Sega boxes, kind of like the NES classic where it's this, you know, mini box that has classic, you know, how, a selection of classic games on it, whatever, um, particularly in the case of the NES Classic, and, and apparently there is going to be a Super Nintendo Classic. But anyway, uh, but there has been an announcement for uh, this summer. There's going to be a Sega Genesis uh, called, it's called the Flashback, and they are really going to town on this. A um, lot of great games uh, included for it. Fantasy Star, of course, Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, Altered Beast. That's up to you if you consider that a great game. Uh, Mortal Kombat. I mean, there's 85 games, I think, in total are going to be on here. Virtual Fighter 2, absolute classic. Um, but this, it will be it will be coming out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be able to do 720p, which that's nice. And one of the problems with the NES Classic was that Nintendo, for some Satan forsaken reason, uh, they... They had really short cables on the on the controllers. Uh, this will actually come with two wireless controllers, 2.4 gigahertz wire, uh, wireless controllers. They won't be infrared. Uh, so, you know, that's interesting. The only problem there is, is I know some microwaves actually kill the 2.4 gigahertz uh, band. Uh, so you might lose control if you're playing in the kitchen, <laughs> which the lovely Niper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I do. Uh, but I th yeah, actually, this September, um, it will be it'll be coming out. So something to keep your eyes on uh, if you want that. But I mean, yeah, you're going to be able to play Genesis, Genesis games in HD and it is, uh, it's by at games, but Sega is officially licensing it. So I think that's pretty slick. Uh, a little link in the show notes for that. If you want to check it out. The other thing is I got an email, um, and I want to wrap this up fast. I got an email this week from Atari. I'm on their newsletter. I don't know how I ever ended up on it, but I know I did for something called the Atari box and they're being really mysterious about it, but I'm guessing it's in the similar vein to the NAS classic and probably the Sega Genesis flashback. Um, but if you go to AtariBox.com, you can sign up for updates on it, but they're not saying what it is. And there's like a little video that's showing off what appears to be an Atari 2600. I'm guessing it's going to be something like that where you could, I mean, but fuck, you could put every Atari game, you know, on, on a, on, Honestly, you could almost put it on the entire thing on like on a, on a 3.5 inch floppy, I mean, you know, Atari games take up no space whatsoever. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. I'll be keeping you posted on that. But what I really wanted to tell you about, uh, for game talk is a game that it's a sequel to, I mean, this is, this is really impressive shit. Uh, in fact, Konami knows it exists and they don't do anything about it. If you're a fan like me of the Castlevania series, there was this great fan made game called the Lacard Chronicles. Okay. And it, it's actually called Castlevania, the Lacard Chronicles and, and Konami obviously doesn't mind because they haven't taken this down yet, uh, but they came out with the second one. So it's Castlevania, the Lacard Chronicles two. And this is a gorgeous, gorgeous Castlevania game. I mean, it has, you know, relatively updated graphics, certainly in your super Nintendo range, uh, but a lot of more advanced features in it. 
Uh, but it plays and has like kind of the story style of a lot of your classic Castlevanias. Not like, not like the ones for Game Boy Advance where you had the cards and everything, which I, I love like Area of Sorrow and all that. I love those games. Uh, it's not at that level, but it's just kind of an updated version of what you would get, uh, you know, with classic Castlevania gameplay. Uh, and, and again, uh, kudos to Konami because like Nintendo, you had, what was that? That Pokemon Uranium version. Um, you had that Metroid, that, that updated version of Metroid 2 that came out, which both, especially the Metroid 2 game was a AM2R or AMR2 or whatever they got taken down almost instantly. Like Nintendo just, you know, instantly suck, you know, suck the lawyers, uh, the lawyers, <laughs> sicked the lawyers on them, uh, on the, the developers of that, which they weren't selling the games. And this, this game's totally free as well. The card Chronicles too. Uh, but they just, they wouldn't have it. So, but Konami doesn't seem to be minding the fact that, that the Lacard Chronicles exist and that they're, you know, go ahead and slapping on the Castlevania name. I love the Castlevania games, especially the, the simpler ones. Uh, it's such a, such a fun style of gaming. And I mean, and especially playing simple games as well. And this has a pretty cool story to it uh, too. I mean, it's not dealing with the Belmonts, you know, it's not Simon. Yeah. You know, the Belmonts, they're the main characters of most of the Castlevania games, uh, but it brings in kind of a new family, the Lacards, And yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. So check out uh, Castlevania. The link is in the show notes for it. Episode 229. Um, check out Castlevania, the Lacard Chronicles too. If you love that classic Castlevania play. Uh, I mean, this is a full-on game, not a demo. This is the real deal. Uh, works on Windows PCs, of course. Check it out. We'll be back with more. We don't have to what? What do you mean you don't have to take your clothes off? What a bunch of sh- Okay, okay, no, you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time, but come on, we all want to, don't we? <laughs> I just, who who writes lyrics like that? I can't believe it. Uh, anyway, let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Album of the Week. Woo! Ho! How about that little... <laughs> That little in between. That is a classic little ad that I used to run. I mean, it's not even an ad. It's just supposed to be kind of a little bit of a joke um, that I ran for years on the show that would just kind of go in between and people were like, whoa, where, where the hell is this music coming from? And then suddenly, you know, I'd break in and everything. Had a lot of fun with that. But it is time for Album of the Week. Woo! This is something that Sovereign Tech patrons knew was coming because I was doing it for them beforehand. There was such high demand for me to talk about new albums that come out because really, how do you find out about, you know, new, uh, interesting albums uh, that, that get released? I mean, I have a hard time finding out about them. Uh, in fact, the best way I find out about them, honestly, is by, and I'm not saying I torrent them, I'm just saying, on torrent sites is usually where I find out about a lot of, because I'm into a lot of classic bands. Uh, and you know, there, there's really, there aren't a lot of publications, you know, it's a guitar world, I guess, but I mean, they're, they're or not guitar world, guitar magazine, whatever that blabbermouth, I guess that cover like some new releases and everything, but it, it's so hard to find out what new albums are coming out, uh, whenever, especially when you're a fan of the music that I'm into, which is, uh, you know, a lot of hard rock and heavy metal, even though recently, thanks to the inimitable NK Lords, uh, my horizons are broadening significantly, <laughs> I have to admit. Uh, but yeah, so album of the week is going to be a segment where I'm going to tell you about an album that you might want to check out. I, I don't know if I'll always play music from it. I'm not going to in this case. Um, 
But I think it's something fun, something for you to check out, for you to listen to. I know a lot of my listeners are fellow metalheads. Uh, it might not always be metal that I'll bring up, you know, metal or hard rock. I, I kind of consider them the same family. Uh, but in this case, it certainly is. Uh, and this is this is a bit of metal that I think is is really, really cool. And the band is called Tokyo Motor Fist. Now, it's not exactly a new band. I already have a lot of these album of the weeks lined up, like what, what I'm going to talk about. And a lot of them are totally new bands. Um, Tokyo Motor Fist, I mean, yes, it is a new band as in like these people haven't played before, but you're getting some real class acts and some classic acts involved uh, with with Tokyo Motor Fist. And also their album that just came out or came out in December is, uh, it's a self-titled, uh, you know, so the album's called Tokyo Motor Fist as well as the band. Uh, but you're getting a, one of the greatest, in my opinion, one of the greatest metal singers or hard rock singers, whatever. I'm just going to say metal from now on. One of the greatest metal singers of all time, that being Ted Poley, who is best known for his work. He's done solo work, but is best known for his work with Danger Danger, one of my favorite bands out of the 80s and early 90s. Um, not saying every album they ever did was great, but certainly their first two, Danger Danger and... Um, and their follow-up uh, were, were both just badass fucking albums. <laughs> uh, and the, the follow-up is screw it, right? Anyway, uh, Tokyo Motor Fist. So you've got Ted Poley on vocals. Automatically, you know, makes for like, okay, I, I have to hear this. Uh, but then they have, and this is a band that doesn't even appreciate the kind of level. You might not have ever heard of Danger Danger. If you haven't heard of Danger Danger, though, it's a good bet you've never heard of this band because they don't even have the same rec- amount of recognition. That being Trickster. T-R-I-X-T-E-R. I, I'm a big fan of Trickster. They had a couple of huge albums. Or not not huge. I'm sorry. They're not huge. They're huge in Japan. A couple of a couple of albums that had moderate success uh, in the early 90s that I really enjoyed. And this is that kind of that hair metal style. I don't like the term hair metal, but whatever. Um, but the guitarist from the lead guitarist from Trickster, that being Steve Brown, is also in this band. And you feel it. Uh, this is this is a slick album. If if you like kind of that that melodic metal style and with the melodic vocals you know where it's not you know where it's somebody actually singing not that i have a problem with the you know that that's that's fine and i i like the heavy stuff too um but this is i mean this is the album you've been waiting for in fact honestly like if you know about danger danger or because i've talked about danger danger in the past on sovereign tech um this is like a danger danger album without danger danger you know being the name on on, on the album uh i mean it opens up just wild with picking up the pieces. I mean, great, great, great little ditty, uh, where it's, you know, just has that upbeat tone to it and, and kind of, kind of a fast rocker, you know, uh, a lot of these are kind of love songs. I mean, cause the next one after that is love me insane, which is pretty cheesy, but it has a good, good kind of rolling beat. In fact, you can, you can really hear for me, you can really hear the inspiration of kind of Japanese, uh, what, sort of the Japanese preference when it comes to like 80s metal which that's that's a whole subject in itself that I could talk about sometime so check it out if you like that kind of classic 80s 90s you know kind of hair metal that has a bit of cheese to it Tokyo Motor Fist you can't go wrong it, the whole album the most incredible television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica right here you for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, 
Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack begin. New age of high adventure, Battlestar Galactica. Tool of the week. Woo! Ho, 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 ho. Bringing out a lot of classic ads. And we'll have some new ones, of course. Uh, I like doing that. We're, we're, you know, talking about things that maybe people never bothered to, to watch before from the past. Uh, you know, boy, I could go on forever about this. Uh, maybe I'll get into it during the climax. But really, like, nobody's, I feel like today, nobody's really interested in watching great television. They're just interested in what's on Netflix. Like, they, they don't actually care about, like, great art. They're just like, okay, what's conveniently on Netflix? And that's, I get it. I understand why, but that's kind of annoying to me, especially when you have, you know, torrents. <laughs> anyway, uh, tool of the week is where this is a, a segment that I've, I've had in the past where I would talk about something actionable, something, either a piece of software, a piece of hardware, maybe a little bit of both, uh, just, you know, or, or maybe a, an actual tool of some kind. Um, like I've even talked about tactical flashlights in the past, um, you know, something that you can use that, that you can kind of go away from this episode or walk away from this episode saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really glad to bring this, this segment back. And the first one I want to talk about is a pretty important little piece of hardware and software really, uh, that, that I think more people want to get on board with. Um, I've talked about UB keys. That's Y U B I K E Y, uh, in the past. And, I think that these are, these are phenomenal. They're little, they look like flash drives. They're not really flash drives and what they are. It's a security device that uses, you know, varying forms of encryption or interacts with varying forms of encryption that can, you could plug it into a USB port, or if you have the, uh, the UB key, um, uh, Neo, you can actually interact with NFC with your phone where, but particularly with USB keys where it can like lock your computer. Um, or it can keep you from getting access to like your one-time pin codes and everything. It's a great security device, uh, to have that way, you know, so, so what would happen is, is that you would have to, if you wanted to log into your computer, you'd need to know your password or pin or whatever, but you'd also have to have your UB key plugged in. Now, windows 10 kind of allows for this with, um, UB key particularly has a, has an app that in the windows store, like UB key for windows 10 that allows you to do it. But. I've talked about this, maybe it was on Patreon, might not have been on a prime episode. It, it doesn't really work very well because you could still get access to your computer, even if you don't have your YubiKey. Like you could just use your pin. It doesn't work as kind of a, a second factor uh, way to unlock, uh, you know, your PC. And that makes it kind of pointless to me. But there are, there is third party software out there uh, that's been around for a while where you could use a YubiKey to where the YubiKey has to be plugged into the computer for you to be able to get into your operating system. Um, or this might be more appealing to other people because YubiKeys can cost anywhere between 40 to $60. You could use any, any old USB drive you have, and the software will convert it into acting kind of like a YubiKey to where you have to have it plugged in. And then once you're logged in, I mean, you could take it back out and, you know, it wouldn't be an issue, but to log in every time you would need to have it plugged in. Um, and some of the software allows for, you know, you to do backups around that, say like if, you know, the, the USB key got, or the USB drive that you used, uh, was damaged or something like that. I mean, one of the advantages of a YubiKey is they're practically indestructible. They're waterproof. They're, you know, almost crush proof. I mean, or what do they call it? Shock proof, all, you know, all these different things. Um, 
as to where a lot of flash drives that might be might not be the case. But this might be something for you to look into. Um, I put links in the show notes to get access to, to or you know to to go to the websites that uh, offer a lot of this. There is there's one called USB Raptor, um, which Raptor is totally free, but it's a little harder to set up. Um, then there's one called, uh, a Ro- I'm guessing Rojos, even though it's kind of spelled like Rojas, but Rojos Logon Key, which that costs about 30 bucks to set that up. And then there's one called Predator, which costs $10. Um, if you're you know more of the technical sort, I recommend using USB Raptor uh, to set this up. And this will work with a YubiKey or like I said, an old you know, flash drive that you have. Um, e- yeah. So either use USB Raptor or just go ahead and spend the 30 bucks for the Rohos logon key. Uh, and the software will walk you through, or at least with, with Rohos, the software will walk you all the way through it. Um, it also, I think Rohos also works with, uh, works with Mac OS. So that might be intriguing for you as well, but it definitely works with windows. Um, I think it's pretty cool to have second factor, you know, a second factor setup for even logging onto your computer. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, to me, it's a no brainer, especially today. Um, and if you can do it with your YubiKey and then your YubiKey also happens to have all your, uh, like, you know, your one-time pin codes and everything logged into it or, or lock, you know, quote unquote saved on it. Um, I'm being very, you know, very basic in how I describe this. Uh, I mean, that's just a beautiful little security setup. Uh, so in USB Raptor is, is open source. Um, Rohos is not, so that might be a concern for you, but I mean, it's not like you're really trying to stop the NSA here. You're just trying to stop, you know, kind of your run of the mill person from just logging onto your computer. Uh, or, you know, I mean, certainly it would stop, uh, a lot of your more everyday, kind of malicious, uh, hackers, which I call crackers. Um, I think hackers are heroes, but, uh, you know, somebody's doing something malicious that often gets attributed in the mainstream media as hacking. Uh, that's, we, you know, there's been a term for that for 20 years. It's, it's called, or even longer, it's called crackers. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's really what you're going to be taking on here, but I put in, I have instructions. There's a link for instructions on how to set all of this up. Obviously I, there's no way I could say it all over audio. It wouldn't even make sense to do it that way, but having a second factor authentication to even log onto your computer. Like I said, I mean, that, that's just, that's brilliant security to have. Um, just make sure I would recommend going to the YubiKey because they're so indestructible. Um, but make sure you're, you're looking into backup solutions for that when you're doing it. So check those out. Links are in the show notes. Set up a USB security key. Absolutely. Whoa. Hey, all right. Um, I want to tell you about, boy, you know, I, I mentioned the Bitcoin price earlier. Uh, I mentioned, no, I didn't mention Zcash. I like to mention Zcash all the time. <laughs> uh, all kinds of crypto. If you want to keep your eyes on cryptocurrencies and what's happening in the blockchain space in general, I, there's one website I want you to check out, CryptoCompare.com. CryptoCompare.com. I mean, they, it's such a great resource for all. I mean, even if you're looking for, you know, speaking about looking for a tool of the week, looking for great software, great wallets, they can help you or, you know, it'll, it, there's reviews there, uh, you know, for all of the different wallets and everything. It's just a great, great way to keep an eye on cryptocurrencies. So CryptoCompare.com. And I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Tech History. Ooh, tech history, where we talk about the history of tech. And I'll tell you, this is a story I've been sitting on for weeks that I've been dying to talk about uh, because something else has apparently died. And that is the claim anyway, is MP3s. Um, (laughs) Well, why don't we just I, I mean, MP3s, you know, this is like these. It's not the only sound file type out there, obviously, but it is definitely the most well known is one perhaps with one of the longest histories, um, of them all. So we're kind of talking about the future or maybe the lack thereof of MP3, but I think it's important to discuss. And we're actually, I'm going to cut to some audio right here to tell you what exactly does this mean? What is the death of the MP3? 
That's right. Rest in peace to the MP3 and this according to its creators who say that the digital audio format has lost relevance in a world of new technology. Now, the Fraunhofer Institute for Integrated Circuits, part of the German research body which funded MP3s, has terminated its licensing program for certain MP3-related patents after almost two decades. The institute said that while the MP3 is still popular with consumers, it has been taken over by more efficient audio codecs with more advanced features. In other words, a shift away from the technology looks inevitable. Now, the MP3 rose to prominence in the late 1980s and is credited with revolutionizing the way we all listen to music by reducing file sizes by as much as 95%. Now, in a statement from the Institute, most state-of-the-art media services such as streaming or TV and radio broadcasting use modern ISO MPEG codecs such as AAC, advanced audio coding, or in the future, MPEG-H. Those can deliver more features and a higher audio quality at much lower bit rates compared to MP3. But keep in mind, it's not a major loss for the MP3 founders as Fraunhofer IIS also helped create AAC files, which are now predominantly used in iTunes, YouTube, Nintendo, Nokia, and other music audio systems. In other words, they're not looking back, they're moving forwards. And MP3s? They're just going the ways of DVDs, Blackberries, VCRs, Betamax, uh, CDs, Circuit City, Kmart, name it. They're all becoming a thing of the past. For Modern Wall Street, I'm James Swing. All right. So what's the reality here? Like, I mean, the stories that were getting shared around, and again, this is almost a month ago, uh, and the date or the time frame, that being May of 2017, is a very important one. Um, that I'll describe in a second. So, but the story going, I mean, what everybody was saying was like, oh, nothing's going to, like MP3s won't work anymore. What are we going to do? Oh, they're going to, oh, we have AAC or we have A's or H-E-A-C plus or whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's so many different ones now, or there's, you know, Ogvorbis, right? Which that's been around for a while. That's the open source kind of alternative to MP3. Um, or there's FLAC, right? If you're into a lossless, you know, MP3. Now, understand, like you said, MP3 has been around since the 80s. The, the entire protocol was finalized in 1992, uh, like 91, 92. 92, I think, is when it was, you know, really in. Um, and MP3s, you know, MP3 players, a lot of people don't realize this also. There were MP3 players before the iPod, okay? Uh, even though the iPod was certainly what put the MP3 you know, on the map and what made MP3 players a force to be reckoned with, uh, for about, you know, about a decade, really up until the iPhone and, you know, the iPhone and Android, um, the MP3 is not dead. Okay. <laughs> Let's just get that right out of the way. This thing is not dead. Uh, MP3s are still going to be around. You're still going to have MP3. I mean, there's still going to be, uh, well, there might not be traditional MP3 players, but again, most people don't even use those. I, I totally support the people that do. I think that's wonderful. I know like uh, uh, Corey Doctorow has has a particular MP3 player that he loves. Um, so what what's happening here is just that, yeah, they're not, uh, was it Fraunhofer? They're not going to offer, okay, which they're kind of in control of the development of, of MP3 and the kind of the distribution um, of the protocol itself. They're not going to offer out uh, really the ability maybe for new players, certain new players to be released. So it's not really dead, but why did this happen in the first place? The MP3 is still, I mean, like, you know, like we've been talking about, you go to torrent sites, most of the albums that you can get kind of like Tokyo motor fist are probably going to be an MP3, either MP3 or flack, right? If you're into more of a, a lossy or a lossless, which means that there's, uh, there's no loss in sound because MP3s and kind of what they're talking about where there's better compression abilities, 
MP3s arguably cut out a lot of a lot of the the, the finer sounds, um, say in a song. Okay, as to where FLAC, okay, which is what free lossless audio codec, FLAC, uh, even though it compresses it smaller than what an actual digital song would be, you know, say if you're recording it right to a computer, like if you had a guitar hooked up and you know it it would be huge, or like if it was a WAV file, which is also lossless, means you don't lose any of the frequency of the song. Um, you know, a WAV file for a song could be twenty five, you know, thirty fifty meg. I mean, it could be crazy. As to where with FLAC. Um, or, I mean, it could be hundreds of megs, you know, it could just, it could be ridiculous, ridiculously large. Yeah. It, it would be, it'd be pretty big. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I saw an actual song in a wave file. So as to where a flack can kind of break it down to more like 10, 15 meg, maybe for the average song and an MP3 can be anywhere between three to nine megabytes, depending upon what, um, what's the audio quality that you have it set for. Okay. Now me personally, and, and this is something I don't think that, or I think the industry knows, but they just, they, they ignore and they try to keep selling you on shit. Uh, there's the argument that you can or can't hear certain frequencies and that like the frequency range that an MP3 could deliver music to you that you could actually hear is within human hearing and anything outside of it was meaningless. Now there's people who say, no, that's not true. There's all kinds of things that, that, that you can hear, uh, in all kinds of frequencies that like that you pick up, even if you don't really notice that you're hearing. And so with MP3s, you know, there's a lot of, and I say this with affection, there's a lot of music snobs. Okay. That think the MP3 is just anathema. Like it's, it's Satan incarnate, you know, it's just this terrible, terrible thing. I don't agree. And understand I am a music lover. Okay. I have a music collection, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of songs. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have a huge music collection and I love music, but a 192 K. All right. And I know most people like encode there's a 320 K or something on a lot of torrent sites, but a 192 K MP3 does me just fine. You know, and I now 128 K MP3, on the other hand, I start hearing like when, when somebody's hitting a cymbal or something, you know, or the or certain drum rolls going down, uh, yeah, you're, you're hearing some, some art, what they call sound artifacts where that's not how that's supposed to sound. But a 192 K MP3 does me wonderfully. And that's how I listen to most of my music. And I don't really feel like I'm missing the point of the song. Anyway, I, I can understand the arguments that maybe there's certain sounds you're not hearing certain brilliance that doesn't come through. Uh, but I mean, th that goes so far as to say that even digital keeps you from hearing everything that you're supposed to be hearing. And they want you to go with, uh, you know, uh, you know, like with vinyl records and they want everything done on analog, even though a lot of vinyl records today aren't recorded in analog, they're recorded digitally and then they're put onto analog. Right. <laughs> so, but I, like, I understand, I understand all of these arguments and I've said this myself, like I've heard, I've listened to, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time, Deep Purple. I've listened to uh, quadraphonic uh, Deep Purple albums and I've never heard, and I don't, you could toss Dolby Surround 8.1 or Atmos or whatever at me. Nothing has sounded better than hearing Burn on quadraphonic by Deep Purple. Like that, I mean, that was a life-changing experience, but that technology's dead. You know, that, that's from, you know, that's from the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> or even a little before. I mean, Quadraphonic was this, you know, four speaker set up and you mastered the album to work that way. Oh, that was some brilliant shit. Okay. But you know, a lot, a lot of that's, that's, that's come and gone. Bottom line is the MP3 does just fine for me. Now, what is really happening here? Why is the MP3 dead? Well, here's the problem. It's not like, I mean, so they're saying like, uh, how the Fraunhofer, you know, like, the, uh, whatever group they're not offering out. They're not uh, licensing out patents anymore for the MP3s. 
It's because they can't. It's because it's because the patents, like this said, it's been around for 20 years. The patents are dying. They died in April 2017. Like they, they've come to an end. MP3 is out of patent. We talked about this probably about a year ago because that's when some of the patents from like 91 were starting to, you know, come up and, and it's like, oh, well, then MP3 is going to be, you know, effectively open source. So companies can't make money off of MP3s in that way anymore. That's why the MP3 is quote unquote dead. It's because it's out of patent. You know, now it's, it's, it has the potential to be, you know, effectively open source. Uh, they don't control MP3 anymore. That's why it's dead. It's not like they give a shit about, you know, whether AAC is technically better in how much sound it can compress into a much smaller file than even MP3 does, which AAC, like AAC plus, you can get the same quality of like a 192, uh, MP3 inside of like 64 K. I mean, and it's, it's like, a, it's some songs aren't even a meg you know, a megabyte in size. Uh, it's pretty incredible. And, and, and it does, it does work fairly well. I mean, I've, I've messed around with this stuff. Like I said, I take music very seriously. Okay. But you know, I, I do like the standardized, I'm, I'm just so used to MP3s and like, there was a moment where I wanted to convert all my MP3s to Og Vorbis, but that would have killed the songs. I mean, you can only convert these things so many times before, you know, really you start getting more of, like I said, those artifacts where you're getting these strange, like, you know, kind of lavish mouth noise sounds or something. Uh, so <laughs> inside joke there. Um, but yeah, the MP3 is not dead. It's still going to, you know, most of your music services that allow you to upload MP3s, like say, um, uh, Microsoft groove or Google play music, all access or whatever, they still take MP3s and they're going to take MP3s forever. Um, and, and software, you know, most, most like power amp on Android or something, if you play something localized or you play like four, three, two player, um, you know, that's, that's another music app that I really like. Uh, you know, they all, they're all going to play MP3s fine. The MP3 is not fucking dead. I, I, it, that was such easy clickbait for all of these fucking tech shows or, or not tech shows, but uh, tech journalists to, to run with. And I was like, stop guys, because everybody's going to think, oh, well, you know, I mean, people are going to panic. What am I going to do with my MP3s? You, you just use them like you always have, you know, and if it ever gets to a day where you really do need to convert them, I'm pretty sure whatever service you're, you're working with, be it Apple music. And of course that could turn out to be a disaster that we know of historically has happened. Uh, but whatever music service you're working with, they will probably like do like a music match kind of setup where, you know, they'll give you the converted version in the new file format or something from MP3. But no, the MP3 is not going anywhere. The MP3 is probably still going to be used. You're going to be torrenting MP3s, I guarantee you, like 20, 20 years from now. I mean that. I'll be back with Babylon 5 ended a great war and united a hundred alien races in peace. Danger didn't die. It just went underground with new heroes and new evils to carry the torch. We need to make sure they all understand we will not be intimidated. What is wrong with you people? We have to set him against himself. It's an entire new season of Babylon 5 with all new episodes. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history, Babylon 5. The Climax Adam West, the actor who played Batman in the 1960s series, died Friday night in Los Angeles. He was 88 years old. A representative said he died after a short battle with leukemia. West's portrayal of the superhero, along with his alter ego Bruce Wayne, made it difficult for him to get other roles. He worked throughout his career, but his options remained limited because of his association with the comic book character. 
for three seasons. Adam West played Batman on TV. It was only three seasons, which is shocking because of the impact it's, it's had. It's my childhood. Now all uh, 120 episodes of the classic series are being released on DVD and Blu-ray, along with tons of bonus features. Beyond. They've also been digitally remastered. Oh. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Adam West. <laughs> So great to see Howdy, you. Howdy, Steve. Lisa, how are you? Beyond. Beyond. Happy good to, to see you guys. You. You're looking good. You're hanging in there, huh? Well, I feel pretty damn good, yes. Lordy, it's nice to see you two again. <laughs> it's been a few years. A couple of years. You know that I, you were like my babysitter in the afternoons growing up. Like I felt like I spent every afternoon with you. You are Batman to me. Were you turned out okay? Yeah, as far as uh, I can jury, tell. The jury's still out, Adam. <laughs> yes. Yeah, on this thing. Well, I'm delighted. You know, people say that. And, and you know, as you become a senior superhero, you, you, you hear say? more and more of these stories that, you know, you grew up with me and maybe I babysat. Yeah. And I'm still doing that for your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and it, it still goes on. And this is Batman for fun. And, and, you know, as the feature films came out later, it's more dark and there's more foreboding. It's almost like film noir. You guys were having a good time. Well, we weren't scary. We, we had fun, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, we designed and did the show on several levels. It was a social satire, theater of the absurd, for the adults and for the children, it was high adventure and uh, scientific stuff and morality, and it was wonderful fun. Now, I have a question. I, you, you probably get asked this a lot, but I'm really curious the answer. You got this role, and it was a huge role. In fact, you beat out Lyle Wagner. Was the other guy who was up for this? Am I correct? Well, I'm not sure, Steve, because I've heard that, and I did see a test at one time. Uh -huh. But I would hate to say that, say that a fellow actor didn't get it because yeah. I was better in any you way. You beat out, maybe that's the wrong phrase, but you ended up with it. Um, it, it. It is a blessing and a curse because you cannot escape the fact that you played this iconic role. That's the blessing. The curse is you cannot escape that you played this role. What, what did you say, Lisa? Were <laughs> you typecast? But that, were you typecast? I yeah, think it's it is. Thank yeah. you for cutting through it. <laughs> yes, that's no, what but, I'm here but for. But Steve, you're right. He I mean, has not, he has not lost a thing here. It, yes. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. Uh, you can't run around 24/7 uh, in a cape and a cowl and a funny uh, pair of tights mm -hmm. and, and fighting crime. I mean, you're crazy right. to do that. Yes. yes. So it's. It was a comedy, a comedy that did typecast me. And it was uh, kind of desperate uh, until I sobered up. No, it, was, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't easy for a few years. Uh -huh. And I went out and I did theater, the Mark Taper Forum. I did regional theater, anything I could. To try and... And I did so many really dumb movies. I mean, awful movies in which I did terrible things. Well, you started playing, like, uh, psychotic characters. Well, yeah, I did awful mean yes. guys. Yeah. Yes, And And then uh, I even was in drag. Well, that's fun. What? That's fun on a Saturday night, right? <laughs> you didn't tell me. Oh, she's strange. She's, <laughs> Adam, and you babysat her. I blame you. Yeah, I know. It's your fault. Yeah. This I is how you turned out. I didn't do much of a oh, job. Any yeah. advice for uh, Ben Affleck as he takes on the, the next cape? My darling, I would never dream of giving another actor advice unless I'm directing him. Now, 
<clears throat> I feel that unlike a lot of the talk that's going around, that he'll be marvelous. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a very good actor. And everyone who plays Batman brings their own little kind of, um, I don't know, they cook with it and bring something fresh. Their own panache. Yeah, yeah panache okay. is a All good right. word, okay. yes. Another panache, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the voice is still, still you, you, you've done a lot of voiceovers in your career. Are you still doing them? Yeah, I'm still doing voiceovers. And as a matter of fact, I did a character with Rob Lowe for uh, a new show. And uh, Rob plays uh, Dazzle, and I play his father, Razzle. Really? Dazzle and Razzle? That's why I do. Razzle, Dazzle. There we go. And I do Family Guy. And I've got a show called uh, What You Got for the Money with Adam West. Mm -hmm. So I'm busy, you know. And you're also born to do comedy. It's well, new, for it's a geezer, that's yes. pretty good. All right, Batman, the complete television <laughs> series is uh, now on DVD and Blu-ray, Blu as we mentioned. <sighs> so I assume you got the point. That was uh, one of the last interviews done with uh, Adam West, who passed away on June 9th, 2017, uh, last night. And I have, uh, well, I mentioned it at the top of the show that we would be talking about it during the climax. Uh, I dedicated this entire episode to him. I am going to try and get through the segment, but I think it's important to talk about, uh, an actor and, and we, I've had, you know, this has been too often on sovereign tech where, in the past, like couple of years, 2016, of course, was was crazy. Uh, 2017 is on on a fair trend itself. Um, where I've had to talk about, you know, kind of childhood heroes, but not just childhood heroes, because I actually, un unlike other people, I don't dump the shit that I was into as a child uh, into the wastebasket. I actually, you know, I hold on to it because I, I understand and I, I like to keep in, in touch uh, with that part of me and why I was into those things. And I can I can understand myself in that way. Um, and fortunately, I guess, you know, and I know not everybody gets to do this. Not everybody gets out of childhood with their imagination intact. Um, I'm not boasting. I just feel I'm someone that did, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, yeah, this one sucks. Um, this is, this is one of the bigger ones for, for a lot of, for a lot of reasons. And, you know, you just, just listening to that interview. You know, that was bad. That was him at, I guess he might've been 86 or 87 because Adam West died at the age of 88. Definitely at a full life. I might talk about that a bit here. Okay. Uh, he, he's still captivating to listen to <laughs> like this guy's work was not done. You know, I don't think I need to give him much of an introduction. Everybody knows that he was Batman. I've said countless times on sovereign tech, be it on the prime show or on a Patreon show or whatever. He's my Batman. He's the Batman that I grew up with, that I aspired to. I mean, I've, I've been reading the Batman comics since I was like six. You know, I've been reading them forever. Okay. But at the end of the day, when I thought about Batman, I fucking thought about Adam West. He still had so much to offer. I mean, I, I was just listening to that audio with you and like, I was captivated at what he had to say. And you know what? Just real quick, his, his assessment of Ben, of Ben Affleck. He was fucking right. Ben Affleck turned out in, in Batman v Superman, whatever, however you feel about that movie. Okay. And I don't mind if you hated it. Ben Affleck did just fine and dandy. He would did marvelous. Just like, just like uh, Adam West said as Batman, he called that shot because the guy knows the guy, I mean, just a brilliant guy. 
Ooh. Um, so here, here's one of the real pities with this. Okay. Uh, I reviewed back in, I guess this, I think this was October, 2016. Maybe it was November. Maybe it was, maybe it was in November when the episode finally came out that I did it. Uh, I reviewed they, uh, uh, Warner brothers, DC Warner brothers came out with the return of the Cape crusaders, which was an animated feature. And this is very popular, very well received. I sure as fucking hell received it very well. Um, of it, it was like a sequel to the 1966 Batman series that Adam West did for, like they said, three years. Um, and they got Adam West to do the voice of Batman. They got Burt Ward to do the voice of Robin. Um, you know, they got Julie Newmar to do Catwoman. I mean, they, they made this as much, I, I don't need to re-review the film. You, you can, you can look up, you know, my review of it, uh, because I, I loved it. I was, I was almost in tears watching it. It was so beautiful to see a genuinely well done, uh, respectful, you know, to the source paid up the fidelity baby, uh, you know, to, to Batman 66 that was there. Now I said then that we already knew it was so popular. They're going to do a sequel. In fact, William Shatner was going to voice two face, which two face was never in the original Batman was or was never in the Batman 66 TV series. Uh, so I thought that that was really cool. First off to have William Shatner and Adam West. Yeah. I mean, two of my top heroes, you know, uh, I mean, growing up, understand it, it was, it was really like, who, who were the, who were the big influences on me? Uh, Captain Kirk, Batman, that Adam West, Batman. And then of course, Ric Flair. Woo. Th those were the biggies. So to have Adam West and William Shatner playing off of each other in a new animated feature based off of bat or as a sequel to Batman 66 and a sequel to return of the Cape Crusaders, which fortunately will come out this year, 2017, uh, probably this fall or maybe even in, in the winter. Um, that, that fortunately will, will come out. He, Adam West completed that project, you know, thanks Satan for that. Uh, you know, really glad to see, I mean, that's going to be magical to see that happen, but now it's going to be filled with a lot of sadness for a lot of reasons. You know, they were talking about in that interview, how finally Batman, you know, the Batman 66 TV series was getting released on, uh, on DVD and Blu-ray and digital HD. That was, again, that's like, that, that was like 20, 2015 there, 2014, 2015, that interview. The show came out in 66. What the fuck took so long? Let me tell you what took so long. The rights for that show were just so locked up in so much limbo in Hollywood that nobody could release anything about it. Do you know why in 2016 that they finally released that movie I mentioned, Return of the Cape Crusader, that animated film, even though obviously people were hankering for it. Do you know why DC, one of their most popular titles right now is actually Batman 66. That's the name of the comic book. It's awesome. Do you know why DC is finally able to, to more do Batman 66? It's because all the fucking intellectual property, all the copyright finally got cleared up. And so now DC can actually make shit about Batman. But do you realize this stuff's popular and it's not a generational thing because you know, there's a generational thing of, of like what decade, like decades, like right now, the nineties are popular again, right? That's why Jurassic park is such a big deal. That's why there's all these remakes of various movies from the nineties or, or sequels or something. Um, you know, and, and you could say a few years ago, it was the eighties. That was the big, you know, hot and happening thing. And so you're doing sequels and remakes of eighties movies and whatever. Um, or, you know, maybe even now, but you have like stranger things and whatever, it's not the sixties time. Like it, it, it's, it's really not the sixties time was actually back in the nineties. Like when you got a remake of the Avengers and I don't mean the, the bullshit from Marvel, I'm talking about, you know, the, the old Patrick McNee. Okay. You know, uh, you know, Steed and Peel, right. Um, 
you know, Steve and Mrs. Peel, you know, the, the original, the British Avengers, the, the classic TV show. Okay. <laughs> Which that was a Sean Connery movie. I can't believe that's a Sean Connery movie. That movie is so bad. Uh, but anyway, you know, that that's when the sixties were back was in the nineties. So like my point in saying this, okay. Is that people have been hungry for more Batman 66 for more of that bright night instead of the dark night. For more of the, the fun, the sexiness. And, I, and every time I've talked about Batman 66, I've always said that's the best part. In fact, Adam West just confirmed it. What I've been saying for years is that that show was a multi-layered show. It had something for everybody, for adults, for kids or whatever. And that show, if you're an adult, that show is fucking sexy, which is one of the reasons that I you know, still absolutely love it. But my point that I'm trying to make to you is that Adam West, while he has done varying things over the years, I want to talk about some of those. Adam West could have been appreciating a resurgence, maybe as animated films, like the success of Return of the Cape Crusader, and I'm sure what'll be the success of the new movie with Two-Face, bringing Two-Face uh, excitingly into the Batman 66 universe. Um, you know, he could have been enjoying a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of renewed popularity. He could have been enjoying some new paychecks you know, for his work as Batman. Yeah, it's unfortunate he got typecasted. Uh, that definitely happened, you know, but holy shit, like he could have lived it up on that. Some people get to live this shit up. He could have, hell, he could have been writing new Batman 66 novels, but no, because of dumb ass laws, because of dumb ass concepts like intellectual property, this guy that made Batman, I mean, like, Adam West is as quintessential to the creation or to the popularity, I should say, not the creation, the popularity of Batman as Bob Kane, Bill Finger, uh, 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 you know, go down the list. Christopher Nolan, not that Nolan necessarily helped with Batman's popularity, but, <laughs> uh, you know, Tim Burton, all of them. Adam West is quintessential to Batman being what he is today, to appreciating the legacy that Batman has today and the popularity. And he could have been living off of that, but fuck no, because of stupid IP, because, uh, you know, because all oh, the rights are here, the rights are there, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and we as fans couldn't even enjoy this shit. I had to, you know, for years, the only way I've been able to watch Batman 66, I had to download and, you know, thanks Satan for Torrance. I had to download rips from TV land from the fucking, you know, network TV land. I mean, such piss poor conversions. Okay. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah, I blame government for that shit. I blame the I blame the fucking monopoly use of force. Absolutely. And it fucked up. I mean, it, it didn't allow him to, to really. I mean, fortunately, in the last couple of years, like, yeah, Batman 66 has been on one hell of a rise. I mean, a real, real rise, uh, you know, as far as as far as popularity goes. The comic book's been huge. Like I said, that movie was was huge. Um I'm, I'm so thankful for that, you know, and even in the nineties, I mean, he still got to do some stuff, uh, like he was in the, in of course, what is largely considered the greatest animated show of all time. That being Batman, the animated series, he got to play the gray ghost, which was the character, uh, uh, what was his name? Simon, Simon Trent. It, yeah, it was Simon Trent. It was the character that you find out Batman, or at least in Batman, the animated series that Batman in that based or a lot of his, his, you know, persona as a, as a crime fighter on was on when he was a kid, you know, when Bruce Wayne was a kid, he watched the gray ghost. And thankfully they, they brought in, you know, beautifully Adam West to voice the gray ghost. 
Uh, and Adam West has done other stuff. Some of it big, some not. Like, I mean, he played the mayor of Quahog, of course, and Family Guy, which which was mentioned in that interview. Um, he was even, I remember, he was in, uh, in the 90s, there was a very short-lived show on Fox. It was the Pauly Shore show. And he even got to sit, like, in the Batmobile in that. I remember, I thought that that was awesome. That was the whole reason I watched the Pauly Shore show was because his neighbor was Adam West in it. Um, uh, was it Blue Water Comics or was it Antarctic Press? I think it was Blue Water Comics. They did a... a about a year run with a comic book called the misadventures of Adam West, which was kind of Adam West being Adam West sort of as James Bond, but kind of being sort of kitschy, you know, kind of, kind of in a little cheesy. I mean, it, it was, it's, it's a very fun comic series. If you ever want to pick it up. I mean, it is lots of fun, lots of little Batman isms in it, the whole thing. Uh, I mean, Adam West was even as typecasted. I mean, he was, he was a comedic genius in my opinion, uh, but you know, it's just like with William Shatner. Fine. I mean, William Shatner's done other things, Boston legal, you know, TJ hooker and whatever. But I mean, if you're going to get typecasted, holy fuck, how about you be typecasted as one of the greatest characters in, in literary or, you know, in fictional, fictional history, like with William Shatner, Captain Kirk with Adam West, fucking Batman. I mean, you'll always have that. That's huge. So I'm kind of pissed off because there was so much more opportunity for me for me as a fan to experience Adam West at his best. I'm not saying he ever did anything half ass by no fucking means. Did he ever do that? But I could have experienced him as Batman a lot more, but no, because we have these dumbass goddamn laws. I don't, and look, I don't want to use the death to kind of make that point. That's the, I'm, I'm just saying that I'm fucking mad about that. Okay. I'm just expressing what I'm feeling to you. Just a million reasons to be an anarchist in this world. There's a million and one. Um, there was a beautiful statement by, uh, by Adam West's family, by his children. And, and I, I want to read it here quick. I mean, it's very short, but it's, it's so right on. There, there, it was a very long statement, but there's a particular line from it I want to read. And it's, quote, our dad always saw himself as the bright knight, Stanley breaking in as compared to the dark knight, right? Quote, and aspired to make a positive impact on his fans' lives. He was, and always will be, our hero. End quote. Um, look, I, you know, I like, I, I, I told, you know, I dig what Frank Miller's done with Batman. I dig, uh, like a lot of the darker stuff. You know, I'm into that too. But as I've said, every time I've talked about Batman 66 or reviewed a part of it, uh, I love the, I love the bright night, you know, instead of the dark night. Like I love it being out in the open. I love him being kind of, kind of comedic, almost a little ridiculous. Um, I mean, the sixties, you know, it was so popular that the DC comic book like took right off with that. I mean, Batman started like fighting aliens and shit. I mean, which was at the sixties was far out. I mean, now, you know, ever since really the green lantern core became a thing. Now DC doesn't mind getting intergalactic at all. And I like it. Science fiction, science fiction component. Um, it does it way better than Marvel does, but you know, that, that was a wild thing at the time, but I'm glad they did it. And I've read those comics and I think they're a whole lot of fucking fun. Um, I don't like Batman doesn't have, to, I mean, you know, kind of like the Joker said, why is so serious? Right. Yeah. Why it doesn't have to be Batman can, can, you know, can have a good time as well. Batman can, can, can get it on. I like the bright night. You know, I like, I mean, and yeah, you know, watching that. In fact, I remember, so a, a couple, a couple of memories for you here. We're going to run long affiliates. If you hadn't already noticed, um, I'm not going to go too crazy. Not like the past few weeks, 
two movies, and this is this is interesting as well. <laughs> the two movies that I remember seeing at a very young age. And so I was born in 81. I'm saying I know I saw these movies in the 80s. Okay. I remember the Saturday night feature on ABC. I remember the commercial where the commercial was, it was in winter. The commercial was of this like log cabin with smoke kind of coming out of it. And it was your Saturday night ABC movie. And they played a Star Trek, the motion picture. And that was the first that I can really remember. I'm sure my dad was watching it before then. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and that I saw it, but that that's, that's largely like the first complete, uh, uh, thing that I can remember watching of Star Trek and just changed my life, you know, and Captain Kirk, the fucking man, the other movie that I can remember seeing at a very young age is, and again, this is well before being like eight or nine, <laughs> you know, uh, I remember that my, there, there was a, uh, a, a grocery store chain in New York called great American. How ironic. And this grocery store chain at the time, well, every grocery store, every grocery store chain was doing this where they had rentals, you know, and I would, as a little kid, like, I just want to look at all the, I mean, because especially then with VHS, you know, when that was a thing, uh, like the artwork that they would put on the covers of these VHS. I mean, my, my mind, you know, my imagination would run wild just looking at the artwork for these films. Um, I remember like, you know, watching mega, you know, renting mega force. I love that movie. Uh, a whole bunch of these other ones, but anyway, but I remember we rented Batman, the movie, this is the, you know, the 66 movie. Okay. Uh, that, that after a fashion, you know, kind of set off the, the TV series. And I remember watching that and just thinking, this is the greatest thing ever. Like he has a, he has a spray for the, uh, he has, he has bat shark repellent spray out of his helicopter that he can spray on a shark and the shark, falls off. You know, my grandparents lived in Florida and like, you know, you're always hearing about sharks and everything. And jaws is a big deal at the time. You're still getting jaws sequels and whatever. So like that was very, you know, that sticks in a child's mind. It's like, Oh, I could just get a spray. That'll get rid of the shark. Obviously that's impossible or that's ridiculous. Uh, but it sticks with you. And like, I thought it was so cool and everything about it. And even like, you know, even as I got older, I would continue to watch, uh, that movie over and over again. I mean, I can almost quote Batman, the movie by heart. And again, I'm talking about the sixties Batman movie. Um, you know, I love the part where they're, they're kind of flying around on the helicopter right in the beginning. And, you know, even the ladies are up there waving like, Ooh, Batman, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I dig that even as I got older. Right. Uh, I mean, and even as a teenager, my first girlfriend and I, well, tech, I guess technically, yeah, I'll say technically my first girlfriend and I, that was one of the things we shared was our absolute love of, of the 66 Batman show. You know, it's been a huge part of my life. I mean, and I, I still watch it to this day, like, you know, Every once in a while, I just pop it in. I mean, I have, I have copies of all the episodes and everything. Um, you know, and then you find out, even as I got older, you know, you find out with, the, with the show, I mean, I, I'm just saying like, like definitely got, got a lot of history and I know nostalgia can be a hell of a set, a sedative, but, um, I remember watching the, I think it was the E true Hollywood story. You remember these, the E true Hollywood story where they, where they talked about Batman you know, the 66 Batman series. And I was like, holy shit, a documentary about Batman. This was in the nineties when I watched this. Um, and the stories that were told about, I mean, let's be clear here or about Adam West, you know, life on set. Um, let's be clear here. 88. I mean, I think any age is too young. I don't care if you're a centenarian. Okay. Any age is too young. 88 in those 88 years. I know Adam West lived a fucking hell of a life. 
Okay. I mean, yeah, he missed out on a ton of opportunities, I think that are very unfortunate. Um, but still he definitely got to have a lot of fun. I'm, I am aware of this. Uh, there's the classic story from that E true Hollywood story where, uh, Burt Ward, who played Robin in the 66 Batman, uh, series, uh, he was talking about how, you know, he, he went around the corner of a trailer, you know, on the, on the set and, um, Adam West, you know, the lower half of the, of, of the bat, you know, of the bat outfit was down and there was a woman on her knees, you know, and he, <laughs> and, and he laid it out and yeah, he was getting a blow job right there on set, right in between scenes. And I, I want nothing more for Adam West and Batman. <laughs> Come on. And I, I know there's a bunch of stories like that, uh, where, where, you know, he, he really got to live it up a lot and I'm glad. Uh, I mean, I'm really, really glad, you know, because you want people that have been such an inspiration. Um, I mean, it really was an inspiration. I mean, not just talk, talking about the blowjobs or anything. Just like as a kid, I wanted to be that Batman. That is the Batman I wanted to be. I wanted, I wanted that Batmobile. I have a little Funko Pop figure of Batman and his Batmobile. I didn't fucking buy the modern one. I didn't get, uh, uh, you know, I didn't get the one from the Christopher Nolan movies. I didn't get any of that horse shit. No, I've got the Ford Futura version, you know, from the sixties of the Batmobile and it's Adam West Batman. That is Batman to me. It's the only Batman figure I've got. And it's the only one that matters. No offense to anybody else that's worked with Batman. But it's very inspirational. That's what I wanted to be. And it sucks to have, you know, the guy that, that, that brought that to life go. Because you want them to live on. When somebody's been that inspirational to you, you want them to live on. You want them to enjoy life. You want to know that they enjoyed life. I'm glad he got to. You know, another memory. I remember uh, uh, my my sister in the 90s. I was a very little guy. She she watched Oprah all the time. And Oprah actually did a reunion special. So this is the thing. They were doing the reunion specials. And they, you know, in the 90s. Because, again, the 60s were back, right, in the 90s. So yeah, so I mean, you had all the setup. If there just wasn't this dumbass fucking intellectual property, we could have probably had movies. We could have had something, even if it was animated or whatever. But anyway, it was great. Bat, you know, Batman was, or I mean, Oprah has like she's bringing on all, all the old cast. She had, uh, uh, ex- except for uh, the black woman that played Catwoman, she was on the phone. She had, you know, she had Julie Newmar. She had all the Catwomen there, and then finally at the end, she's interview. Oprah's interviewing all these people. I'll never forget this. And then finally she says, and we've got Adam West and he comes out and he came out so sly and he's like doing the whole moves and everything like Batman would kind of do, you know, kind of the, kind of the stretches and, oh, it was so, I thought it was so cool. And, and like, you know, even then, you know, kind of the, kind of the ladies were like, Ooh, you know, there's Adam West. And, and I thought that was fantastic. And thinking back on it now, I just, I love it. I love it. I'm so glad he got to, you know, that, that he got to appreciate uh, or got to be appreciated and it got to appreciate, you know, that, that, that kind of, uh, life and, and that kind of, uh, some degree of success, even though sadly it could have been so much more. It's just like, you know, I did a Richard Hatch special, special Richard Hatch, of course, who played Apollo in the original great Battlestar Galactica, which you heard an ad for during this episode. Um, same thing where, where just like these opportunities are there, but because of so much dumb shit, they never get to really take them on. Cause he tried to remake Battlestar Galactica, which would have been way better than the horse shit we got on the sci-fi channel, the pure horse shit that was on the sci-fi channel. Um, I I'm so glad. Uh, yeah. I, I want to wrap this up. I don't want to, to go much longer. 
I'm just, I'm so glad that there has been the opportunity for the 66 Batman to have some resurgence. I'm so glad, honestly, that Adam West got a couple more paychecks for playing the character, that being Batman, that he put on the fucking map for the masses, I think. Um, I'm really happy for that. I'm happy we've got one more, one, one more movie that he gets to put out there. You know, it's just like with Carrie Fisher. I'm so glad we've got star Wars episode eight where we can at least see her one more time, you know, and at least I'll get to hear, you know, at least we get to hear Adam West one more time. I mean, like I said, you just listen to the audio. It was fucking captivating because that's Batman. <laughs> you know, I mean, nothing against, I mean, there's, there's been some great voice actors and some great actors that have played Batman, no doubt, but I don't think any of them grab you so well. Uh, you know, I even love the fact that, like, like I said, he played the Grey Ghost in the animated series. So even, you know, Ken, who, who, who played, you know, what is considered one of the greatest voices for Batman, and and most people maybe today even that's what they think of when they think of Batman is Bat, you know, is the voice from Batman the animated series. Uh, even he had to, you know, through the fictional universe, had to look up to Adam West, and Adam West's voice as the Grey Ghost was just as captivating. I think that that's so that's so precious. It just sucks. It just, it, it really, you know, I said earlier in the show, it was just such a swift kick to the gut. It was like, oh no, not, not him. Because there was still more to do. You know, we could have had a whole trilogy. I mean, I mean, that's, you know, you can say it's selfish or it's not selfish because selfish means at somebody else's expense. You know, you could, you could say it's, uh, 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 self-serving to, to want somebody to live just so that they can give you a little more joy. But no, that's not crazy. A lot of people think that way, but regardless, I mean, I want him to be happy too. I, I mean, you know, dying isn't a happy thing. I'm, well, anyway, um, Adam West will be missed. He really will because he wasn't, he was, again, he wasn't done. He was still working. This wasn't the guy that's like been out, you know, been out to pasture or anything. He, he was still delivering the goods, be it comedically or whatever. Or finally, again, he got to be Batman. Finally, because of all this bullshit, IP got cleared up. Oh, it's a loss. Just like Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher, a lot of people think, you know, that she was kind of off the map or whatever. I mean, she was doing editing. She was writing and all that stuff was, was phenomenal work, you know. But, I mean, she finally comes back and then she dies. Fuck, you know. I mean, this thought, and I've said it before, this thought crosses my mind every time this shit happens. Like, just, you know, June 7th was uh, was Prince's birthday. We lost him last year. That hit me hard. That was the big one. One of the big ones. Um, you know, the older I get, you know, the more I have to leave behind. And I, I understand that, you know, and I accept that reality, of course. And I don't go into any kind of, oh, they're looking down upon me. I don't, I don't do that. And fortunately, you know, in many ways, Adam West is still alive because we still get to enjoy his work forever. Just sucks. You know, because you want them to live on. Like, I, I, I want, you know, like William Shatter, I want William Shatter to live forever because I know how much he's done for me. I want him to be happy forever. You know, and, and, and you want that because, Yeah. So anyway, um, rest in peace, you know, Adam West, uh, I will obviously be reviewing his latest work when it comes out, uh, you know, this year. And, uh, I'm just so, I'm just so thankful 
that that he did what he did, that he played the part that he did, that he delivered the way that he did, that he had his professionalism, that even that he had his level of sexy, that he lived it up. I'm so glad for everything. You know, you talked about some bad shit he did. Yeah, I, I fortunately, I guess I was spared that. I'm, but I'm glad for the good shit. I'm so, so glad. And and I don't I don't know how many other people out there. I mean, I loved what his family said. He was the bright knight. He really cared about his fans, about being a positive force in his fans' life. Well, he was a positive fucking force. And I don't know if a whole lot of actors or even people today give a lick about that. And they don't have to. But it's kind of nice when they do. You know, we lost Roger Moore. Oh. That was my James Bond. It's just all this, you know, these people going like, I explained why I want them to be alive and it, it just sucks that, that it goes on. So unfortunately we kind of have to end on that sad note. Um, I didn't, I didn't get to hack sec this week. Uh, I had a very interesting hack sec that had to do with an, a satellite in space. Uh, in fact, what would eventually be a space station in space, that being Asgardia, you might think I'm talking some kind of fiction. I'm not. Uh, we'll have to save that for next week. So there's the positive note. Next week, I, I guarantee you, we're going to talk about living in space. And I've already signed up. Yes, I have. Woo! I'm sure Adam West would be pleased with that shit because, boy, when Return of the Cape Crusader, they had the bat rocket. That thing was fucking awesome. <laughs> and, woo! All right. Uh, yeah, if you want to become a patron, you want to hear all kinds of other content, um, you know, just go to SovereignTech.com, uh, of course, uh, and you, you can you can donate as well. Uh, just just going to um, donate.zog.ninja. You can donate Bitcoins and cash if you want. Uh, thank you so much to everybody that's become a patron. We get new patrons every week. Uh, it's such an honor to share the content with you and interact with you there. Um, we do have uh, the live Q&A hangout. I think we'll be this coming week uh, when you're hearing this. Patrons only, so you got to become a patron if you want to do that. Anyway, whew, that's enough tech, science, ethics, and you know, unfortunately, quite a bit of sadness uh, for, for one week of, of Sovereign Tech. Whew, I will see you on the you other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.